And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. And welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With it till 3 on this Thursday. We look ahead towards the weekend. Coming up, the Celtics take a 2-1 lead in the NBA Finals. Plus, who's the second best coach in college football? Who are the best coaches in the NFL? Talk about that coming up. A punishment, Levy. For the golfers that have joined the Live Golf Tour as they get off and rolling. Who are the top quarterbacks in next year's draft class? And one unique, maybe even weird anecdote about one of them. Plus, we'll talk uh, about athletes and their uh, traditions, if you will. Aaron Rodgers has a new girlfriend. we got to talk about that, of course, and a whole lot more throughout the afternoon. We'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery later on this afternoon, give away some battery tickets, too, and whatever else comes up between now and 3 o'clock. You can join the conversation throughout the afternoon, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays, on Facebook at ESPN Charleston, via email studio at KirkmanBroadcasting.com, or online at CharlestonSportsRadio.com. Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at CharlestonSportsRadio.com. With you till 3 on this Thursday, Trent's on the Steel Wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? Luke, I'm doing well on this Thursday. It's a nice day here in the low country. Pretty hot. Great basketball yeah. last night. Good game. Some back and forth. It was fun to watch. We've got, you know, war breaking out in the golf world. What better Thursday could we be on right now here on the Morrow Midday Show? It's true. Let's start with the NBA. We'll get to the golf stuff a little bit later on. Everything else going on throughout the afternoon. But Game 3 of the NBA Finals last night and the Celtics take the lead in the series. With a big win last night. A couple of things that stand out. For one, it's this whole zigzag theory that's been going on throughout the playoffs. Celtics played lousy in game two. As expected, they played much better in game three. They didn't turn the ball over nearly as much, and that's been the, the difference in their results this year. When the Celtics turn the basketball over fewer than 15 times, they're almost undefeated. But they've lost almost every time. They've turned it over more than 15 times. It's pretty simple. And last night on their home floor, Good environment, crowd into it. First finals game in Boston in over a decade. The Celtics played much better, took care of the basketball. Tatum played well enough and got enough help from the supporting cast. 
Role players usually play better at home than on the road. And the return home last night, we saw a little bit of a return of Al Horford. Jalen Brown was really good. Marcus Smart played well. Really, the whole team chipped in. And on the Warriors' side, Golden State needs usually like three things in order to win. Need Steph Curry, and he's been consistent. I think Steph Curry still has been the best player in the NBA Finals. Then you need a little help, and they got a little bit last night with Klay Thompson, though nobody else really stepped up. Klay played his best game of the series. And then you need some physicality, some defense, which is what Draymond Green brings to the table. And last night, maybe he was a little too physical. And the defense for the Warriors was not good enough. They got beat on the glass. They got beat on second chances. They got beat on points in the paint. I actually thought the Warriors should have played more Looney and probably less Draymond Green before he eventually fouled out. But the Celtics beat him up inside. They had too much size. They were more physical than the Warriors, and the Celtics get the win. Now, I'm not surprised. I told you on the show yesterday the Celtics would win, and I said, you know, take them to cover. You might as well. Teams that win have been winning by, as we saw last night again, double digits. But while I thought the Celtics would win last night, I still think the Warriors win the series. So I'm not all that surprised about what happened last night. I figured Boston would come out with a much better effort. They haven't lost back-to-back games all postseason. They were at home. They weren't going to turn it over as much as they did in Game 2. And now I think the Warriors will bounce back in Game 4 tomorrow night. Granted, if Steph Curry is healthy. More on that in just a moment. Curry is banged up, not 100%, or even can't play somehow, then the Warriors are doomed. But the Celtics take that 2-1 lead. And I think, you know, a lot of people are pointing the finger at Draymond Green today. And I do think it's actually kind of fair. Here was uh, Marcus Smart. This was actually before the game yesterday. But it's fitting now that you listen back to it after the game. Because a lot was made about Draymond Green, how he acted or played in in Game 2. And the Celtics, how were they going to respond? Well, they responded just fine. And here was their thought process going in, as Marcus Smart said before the game last night. You respond to fire with fire, right? I mean, we just got to, you know, turn around and do the same thing. You know, if he's going to come in here and try to be physical, this is our house and we got to protect it. I mean, as any competitor would tell you, you know, um, you know, when you get hit in the mouth like that, it's only one way to respond. And, and if you're not really ready to do that, then you don't need to be on the stage. And this is a stage where it's going to take, you know, we got to be willing to, 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 to risk it all out there for your team and, and for the victory. So um, by all means necessary, that's the mindset that they have. Uh, it's the mindset we have, but we got to go out there and, and execute it. Marcus Smart before the game last night, and then I thought they did go out there and execute it. Draymond Green's antics in Game 2 were a problem for Boston. In Game 3, they were a problem for Golden State. He was a net negative out there last night. And it's one thing when you're on your home floor, as they were in Game 2 in Golden State, and you have these young Celtics. And maybe after they won Game 1, as we've seen throughout this postseason, they seem to alternate good performances. They're not consistent enough. They're still young. It's their first NBA Finals. And after winning Game 1 on the road, maybe a little big for their britches, and that was a bit of a reality check in Game 2. Right? As I always say, it's like uh, when you're beating up on uh, some of the buddies and uh, pick up hoops outside and you're feeling pretty good, and then you challenge either your older brother or maybe your old man, and he puts you in your place. He says, right, you're not ready to beat me just yet. A little bit of a reality check, and that was Game 2. And the Celtics looked maybe a little overwhelmed, on the road, hostile environment. Right, The Warriors were beating them up. And the Celtics, young team in that spot, looked a little uh, frazzled. Not so much last night on their home floor. A little bit different. Game three, they're in their area of comfort. They have the crowd behind them chanting F Draymond Green. And it didn't get them all worked up as much last night as it did game two. But as Marcus Smart said, you fight fire with fire. 
Now, in the real world, I don't know if that really does work out. I don't know if uh, if there's a fire, if you should fight it with a fire. I don't know how that would work. But in the case of the NBA Finals, I thought it worked pretty well. I always reference the movie Death Sentence because it was filmed in South Carolina, so I feel like I have more of a reason to bring it up. And also because it's such an underrated movie, and I love that movie with Kevin Bacon. But I always love, spoiler alert, the movie's 15 years old, by the end of the film, right? Kevin Bacon's trying to seek revenge on a gang. And by the end of the film, he becomes exactly like one of the gang members. And he's sitting there in the final scene with the, the head of this gang he was battling with. And as that guy's dying, he's laughing. And Kevin Bacon's like, what are you laughing about? And he says, You're right, I, I've turned you into exactly what you, you hated. And it's similar in these playoffs. We saw it when the Warriors went up against the Grizzlies. And we talked about it at the same time, and I used my death sentence reference then as well. But it was a similar idea. Draymond Green trying to impose himself and that physicality on a young team to try to intimidate, at the time, the Memphis Grizzlies. And it worked at first, but then the Grizzlies fought fire with fire. They decided or realized we're going to have to swing back, and they did. Now, the Warriors end up winning that series. I still think they win this series as well, but similar here. The Celtics said, we're not going to take this lying down. They're going to come out and swing. And so in that Grizzlies series, it led to Gary Payton II getting injured and missing the rest of that series in the next. And in this series, maybe we'll see what happens, but it led to Steph Curry at least getting banged up last night, if not getting injured. And there was nothing dirty about that play with Al Horford, but it's just the idea that when you ramp up the intensity, the other team, again, fighting fire with fire, is going to match that. And now guys are diving after a loose ball and they're getting more physical and the game becomes more chippy and you land on Steph Curry and you hurt his ankle or whatever it is. And we'll see what type of Steph Curry we get in game four. It's like when you go out to the bar with some buddies and you have that one friend that whenever he drinks, maybe he becomes a little belligerent and he's like picking fights with people or he's just talking trash. And you're saying like, come on, we're just trying to have a good time. And then just because you're there, you're the innocent bystander, you're the one that gets punched in the face. Come on, right? You get all pissed off at your buddy. He had to bring it to another level. You weren't doing anything. You just happened to be there having a good night. And uh, one of the guys he's talking trash to ends up punching you in the face. Like Gary Payton Jr. or Gary Payton II. Right? Draymond Green is uh, ramping up the intensity of the series. Gary Payton Jr. is the one that takes the blow. Last night, Draymond Green being a pest as he has all series, Steph Curry is the one that takes the shrapnel. And if he's not 100% for game four moving forward, not only will last night be on Draymond Green because he was a net negative out there, this whole series will fall on the shoulders of Draymond. Here was uh, former NBA player Isaiah Thomas on NBA TV last night after the game talking about Draymond's performance and how, whether it's the podcast, whether it's the war of words, whether it's just trying to be a pest out there, Draymond seems distracted. Here was Isaiah Thomas last night. You play 34 minutes. You have four rebounds, three assists, and two points. Draymond Green does that in a grade school game, not in the NBA Finals. So when you talk about focus, this is what the NBA Finals is about. And right now, he has lost focus in terms of concentrating on beating the opponent. He's not talking about Jalen Brown. He's not talking about Tatum. He's not talking about Marcus Smart. He's talking about podcasts, and he's talking about Cedric Maxwell and the fans. 
concentration needs to come back on the Boston Celtics players who you're playing against out on the floor. You really think that the comments were 100%. Isaiah Thomas after the game last night. And, of course, Isaiah played with the bad boy Pistons, Rick Mahorn and Bill Lambeer, who were maybe the uh, earlier versions of Draymond Green, just without social media and podcasts, but would go out there and back it up. So point being, Isaiah kind of knows what it's like to play alongside a bit of a, you want to say a bully, a physical player out on the court, a mauler. And Draymond grew up as fans of those teams in that area and maybe also styled his, his game similar to the bad boy Pistons. But he was bad last night. Now a few numbers that stand out. In the final minutes of the first half, he had zeros across his stat line. Nothing until the final minutes of the first half. Right, He was just getting his wind sprints in out there for about two quarters. No points, no rebounds, no assists, no block, nothing in the stat line for almost the entirety of the first half. And it was also the first time in his playoff career that Draymond Green had a combination of less than 10 when he totaled up his points, rebounds, and assists. Still couldn't reach double digits. In fact, throughout this postseason, Draymond Green has had 14 games in the playoffs in which he either had double-digit points, assists, or rebounds. One of the three. It's happened 14 times. He has also recorded 17 podcast episodes during the playoffs. Now, you could do those other things. I'm not telling you as an athlete, right? You can't have outside interests or a way to uh, come down after a game or just to the ability to express yourself. But I've said the same thing about Baker Mayfield and any other athlete, right? When you want to create a lot of noise around yourself and then you don't really go out there and back it up, that's where the problem becomes. Nobody cares if, uh, say, LeBron James is talking trash as he plays in nine straight NBA finals. Like, yeah, you know what? He could record podcasts. It's working. He could record podcasts. He could pick fights with old players, whatever. He keeps getting back to the NBA finals and doing so by leading the team there, scoring 30 points. Right? When Baker Mayfield has the Browns in the playoffs and they are in the playoffs for the first time in years, okay, yeah, you could get away with uh, the commercials and maybe being a little obnoxious and right, calling out teammates or the training staff or whatever it may be. But when you're Draymond Green and you're not contributing much to the table, then you give people a reason to uh, point to those things and say those are now a distraction. That's now the issue. That's what's keeping Draymond back. And whether that's the case or not, I don't know. It's just a bad look. When you are spending your time during the week recording podcasts, picking fights with Cedric Maxwell, talking about how these Celtics players aren't that good. Oh, Al Horford, right? He can't play that. He won't shoot that well. Well, now you're down 2-1 in the series, and you really haven't done much yourself last night to help. Kendrick Perkins was on Get Up this morning, and he said the series is over. The Celtics have gone up 2-1, and they have this thing won. Here is Perk this morning. Yeah, yeah, they done. Look, I, I told people before the series that the Celtics were going to win this in seven. But after watching them last night and watching their intensity, their defensive prowess, see, we keep talking about shot making. I don't know how many times I got to come on here and keep preaching to everybody. Yes, offense will win you games. Defense win you championships. And when you look at the, the, when you look at the perimeter de- defenders that the Celtics have, yes, we know about Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year. But they, they have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Grant Williams. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown alone would be a number one defender on the perimeter on another team. And then you have Robert Williams being able to, you know, bring what he brought to the table last night, four blocks, all to the rim and things to that nature. 
Big Al Horford doing what he do. Again, I'm going to repeat because I met Harvard. I'm dropping knowledge as a former champion, <laughs> a guy that went to five NBA finals. Offense win games, defense win championships. Kendrick Perkins this morning thinking that the Celtics have it wrapped up. They played better defense last night. They were able to take the, to take the blows and even the mind games from Golden State and respond with even more physicality. Right, Robert Williams was fantastic. Uh, he may be the difference maker in this whole series. But I don't think the series is over just yet. Now, there's a caveat to that. If you tell me Steph Curry's not 100%, he's not going to look right when he plays game four tomorrow, okay, then I'd probably agree, yeah, series is over. But if you tell me Curry's just fine, he'll be 100% tomorrow moving forward, I think the Warriors bounce back and win tomorrow, and that's all they needed to do in Boston. Just split these games. And you head back to Golden State in what becomes a three-game series, and you're home for two of the last three games. Everybody always freaks out to each and every game of the NBA. And part of it, it's kind of uh, just a, a hazard of the industry that we need to come on the air here the next day, and we have to come up with big takeaways and big storylines and fill airtime, and it'll do it on TV all day long as well, so we can all overreact to these games. And it seems like every time we have an NBA Finals game or you have a game in the NHL playoffs, anytime there's a series, maybe even Major League Baseball, whoever wins the last game, we think they're the winner. Celtics win game one of the Finals. Oh, they're winning this thing. Then the Warriors come back, and it's like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. It was just that fourth quarter for Boston. The Warriors, they'll be just fine. Then the Celtics win last night. Oh, yep, it's over. Celtics are going to win. And I tell you, if the Warriors win tomorrow and even it up at two going back to Golden State, the talk over the weekend will be, oh, hold on. The Warriors are just fine. They're going to win this series. It's what we always do. So I'm not going to overreact to last night or anything we've seen so far. I told you on the air yesterday, the Celtics will win game three. They did. I still think the Warriors win the, the series. That remains to be seen. But I think Golden State wins tomorrow. I think they even the series. They'll be heading back to Golden State tied at two. Wouldn't be surprised if they win game five, even though Boston has not lost back-to-back games. And we'll see what happens the rest of the way. But to me, this series is still far from over unless you tell me Curry is banged up, not 100%. This is a young Boston team. There's a reason why they're so inconsistent. There's a reason why they seem to have one good game and then a bad game. Last night was their good game. I think they come out in game four and don't play as well on their home floor tomorrow and the Warriors even the series. But I'll say this, credit to Boston last night for they took the blows, like Frank Sinatra in my way, right? They took the blows from uh, Golden State in the third quarter. Once again, the Warriors played great in the third quarter like they do every night, and yet the Celtics came right back in the fourth quarter. It's almost like there's a tra- right? they're in a trance in the third. It's amazing how the Warriors, the third quarter, if you separate that third quarter, it's so different from the rest of the quarters of the game. I don't get it because as soon as the fourth quarter comes, it's like, all right, back to normal. You snapped out of it. And as soon as the fourth quarter came last night, the Celtics opened up, on, I think, on a, on a 9-2 run and built the lead back to double digits. It's so weird. You know, it's almost like a, a mental head game. Like, just let's just get to the fourth. And then once you get into the fourth quarter, nothing really changes from a basketball perspective. And yet, they get to the fourth quarter, the Celtics play much better. And they come out in the fourth. Okay, good. It's the fourth quarter. We could get back to playing good basketball. And they start that quarter on that run, and they build the lead back up to the double digits. And the Warriors were terrible again in the fourth quarter last night, especially down the stretch. So credit to Boston. For now, they've outplayed Golden State in two of the three fourth quarters, and that's why they lead the, the, uh, they lead the series 2-1. to one. But you still have to figure out that third quarter. We can give all the credit in the world to Boston and the, the coaching job, but how you continue to get outplayed in game three of every game seems weird. right? That's the one negative. That's the one thing you can critique for Boston. As good of a coaching job as Ime Adoka's done, 
as good as they've played to get up 2-1. There's still something about that third quarter that they just can't do well with. I think the Warriors win game four tomorrow, even the series, and we're far from done. But we'll see. It was a good win for the Celtics last night at home, and I thought Draymond Green did more negative than good for his team. I think he got caught up a little bit in all this uh, machismo, head games, trying to get the Celtics out of their element, when really, I thought he kind of got out of his own element. Maybe took it a little too far, and the Celtics were able to handle it just fine in the win last night. When we come back, who's the second best coach in college football? I'd like to think we can all agree that Saban's still number one. Has there been a change behind him? Because Paul Feinbaum thinks so. It's the Moore Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Diane's debutante backseat of Jackie's car. Chili dog, outside taste freeze. Diane sitting on Jackie's lap, got his hands between his knees. Jackie say, hey Diane, let's run off behind the shade of trees. Dribble off those Bobby Brooks, let me do what I please. Say, oh yeah, life goes on. Long after the coming up. Who's the second best coach in college football? The Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Plus the top coaches in the NFL because uh, there's quite the list that was put out by one uh, football publication. We'll get to that coming up. Hey, we open the show talking about the NBA Finals and the Celtics taking the lead last night by winning Game 3. Did you see that before the game, the rim was a little too high for the Warriors warming up by about two inches? And the Warriors players knew, they realized, or they thought, like something seems off, this rim seems a little too high. Now, I use that excuse, too, when I'm, you know, when I'm not making my shots. Wait a minute. You know, I'm out at the local park. Is this regulation? Is this rim? This hoop seems too high. Is this 10 feet? But the Warriors last night were correct. They brought out that, that little tape measure. They have a 10-foot pole. They borrowed it from the Grinch, and they hung it on, uh, on the rim, and you saw it was still dangling from the floor. It was two inches too high, the rim was. So they had to correct it. Now, Trent, I ask you. Was this just a coincidence? Was this the Celtics' version of uh, Deflategate? Or was it even just for warm-up, some sort of mental head game for Golden State? What did you think of the rim being too high on one end of the floor before the game last night? You know, Luke, I like to launch a lot of investigations, right. obviously, uh, in the NHL playoffs, even in the NFL sometimes. I'm a big investigation guy, and I think the Corville Athletic Commission will launch a full investigation into what the Boston Celtics were truly trying to do. It seemed about, what, an inch and a half, two inches too yeah. high? That's incredibly important for yeah. an NBA game. This is the NBA Finals, TD Garden. We need to sit down with the staff and interrogate them to see who did this, who was behind this, who was the mastermind trying to throw off the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, I agree. Now, people say, well, they both shoot on both ends of the floor. Maybe they were going to correct it before the game even started, or maybe after the first quarter, after the Warriors shot on that rim. Mm. Or maybe that'd be the rim that the Warriors would have to shoot on in the fourth quarter. So even if you both shot on two quarters, right by the time you get to the fourth, the Warriors are shooting on a rim that's too high. From now on, you got to check this thing before the players come out for warm-ups. Get your little 10-foot pole, hook it on the rim. It takes two seconds. And let's check these rims before the players even come out for warm-ups. 
as they're getting this thing set up, the rims and the floor, they put down the floor during the day or maybe the day before, whatever it is. Right before they come out in the court now, I guess you could still change it in the meantime. But And this should be checked before the players even get out there for warm-ups. And the Warriors, credit to them, they knew something was off. The, the rim seems too high, and it sure was. Like, even if you just do it for warm-ups, you have them warm up on a, on a 10-foot, 2-inch hoop, and then you get to the game, and if they adjust it to the proper height, still, that could throw you out of whack. Do you think Steph Curry, like, went up for a dunk or something in pregame, and he uh, missed heavily and realized <laughs> that, oh, wait, wait this, is, this is a little off? Because he can get there. He can get there, but, it, you know, it takes a lot from Steph and those old legs That's nowadays. Right. Yeah, that was always my trick <laughs> when I couldn't even grab the net. Hold on. Did you raise the the rim on me? Is this regulation? Yeah. Somebody come out here and measure, please. Back in the day, right when you used to have the hoop in the driveway, if you were, if you grew up, you had a fancy enough rim. Well, actually, some of them are real crappy, but you could adjust them. And uh, of course, my buddies and I, we played a lot of driveway basketball, and usually we would lower the rim to probably nine and a half just so we could dunk. Who doesn't do that? Right, that's the whole fun of basketball. So the Celtics, the Warriors came out and they they raised it up about two inches last night. And I saw a video, too, of Curry. Somebody on Twitter, I put out a video, and like, look at Curry knocking down all these shots. So he was still, you know, warm-up shooting just fine. But every, every inch matters. Makes a difference. Hey, um, earlier this week, Bill Bender, who we've had on the show before, he put out a list of the best coaches in college football. So he went on the Feinbaum show on Tuesday, and they talked about it. Now, Nick Saban is still number one. I'd like to think we can all agree there. Saban is the best coach in college football, and I think he's the best coach all time in college football. The debate, apparently, comes down to number two. Now, Bill Bender has Dabo at number two, which would have been the case a year ago and, and beyond and hasn't changed. Feinbaum did not like this. Now, we don't. Uh, I didn't grab the audio, but I have the, the, the quotes for you. That in regards to Dabo being number two, Kirby Smart being number three, Feinbaum said, quote, are you telling me that Kirby Smart is inferior right now, even by one number, to Dabo Sweeney in spite of that recent championship? I don't need to remind you, but look at the trajectory of the programs right now and where they are. He continued and said, I think Dabo is yesterday's news. Kirby Smart is where it's at in college football today. Kirby Smart's a better coach than Dabo, and I don't care how many national championships he has. I'm saying it right now. That's what Feinbaum said in regards to this ranking. Now, it depends what we're talking about. If you're trying to power rank like the future of these coaches, who do you think are going to be the most successful moving forward? Or maybe if you, if you wanted to, it's, it's, you know, it's your opinion. It wouldn't be the opinion I'd have, but if you were ranking like the 10 coaches you would want to have running your program, I would still have Dabo ahead of Kirby. But maybe there we could get into a debate. But if we're talking about past success, if we're comparing resumes and we're saying, okay, who's been the second best coach in college football? I think for Feinbaum, a lot of recency bias. Of course, there's a lot of SEC bias. We know that. When's the last time he said anything good? about Clemson or the ACC. And I, again, I'm not a Clemson guy. I'm not an ACC fan. I'm not even an SEC fan. I'm neutral in all this. We just keep it real around here. I think it's recency bias to say, right, just based off of that national championship a year ago, that now Kirby should be ahead of Dabo that easily. Because Dabo has more national championships at a program in which he built up. He did not take over a Georgia that was already a top-tier program in the best conference in college football. Dabo took over a program that was not as uh, good of a spot as Georgia was when Kirby got there. Dabo took over a program that historically was not as good, doesn't have the same tradition. And I would say at the time when they were both hired, certainly Clemson was not as easy of a job as Georgia. And I would also say, with all of that said, despite having the harder job, 
Dabo's won more national championships. And that's the most important. Feinbaum said in his explanation, I don't care about national championships. That's kind of what you're, you're graded on, though. And that's kind of the biggest part. I'm not going to tell you that, uh, I don't know, bring it to the NFL. Like Andy Reid, I can't tell you Andy Reid's a better coach than Bill Belichick. Just compare Super Bowls. And I know that's a larger gap. We're talking here the difference between one. Dabo has only one more championship than Kirby. But there's not a lot of coaches who have won multiple national championships, let alone have done the job that Dabo did by building up that program to the point where they were beating an Alabama, which, by the way, was something for a number of years Kirby Smart couldn't do. Dabo did it before Kirby, while Kirby was in a better position to try to get past Alabama. So just because Georgia finally got over that hump and won a national championship this past year does not suddenly leapfrog Kirby ahead of Dabo. And also, let's not act like it's some sort of slight to put Kirby Smart at number three as the third best coach in college football. But I don't think he's past Dabo just yet. And if you want to look at the recent history, last three years, while it seems that Clemson has fallen off a little bit in the last 12 months, and I would tell you I am concerned about the immediate future of Clemson, it's why off the top I said it depends what we're talking about here with the rankings. right? If you're telling me that uh, Feinbaum, he's looking at it more for the future, all right, we can have an argument. Sure. I'm more concerned about Clemson's immediate future than Georgia. Absolutely. But in the past, Dabo has more national championship titles and last three years. If you want to look at the, the real recent past, since that's what we're talking about, Kirby just won a national championship. Last three years, both programs have 34 wins. They had the same record last three years. Now you want to say, well, one's in the SEC, one's in the ACC. That is fair. But it's also fair to point out that Clemson always has one of the best records against ranked teams and one of the best records against SEC teams. They've just been, they've been just fine when they go up against that competition, at least outside of the playoff the last couple of years. But Clemson has held their own against the top programs under Dabo Sweeney. Now I do agree, right, moving forward, I would feel better about Georgia. Right now, of course, they just won the, they're defending national champs. Of course, I should feel better about Georgia right now than Clemson. But when I look at a list, maybe I'm interpreting it incorrectly, although I am in agreement with the guy who made the list, Bill Bender. When I think of one of these lists, when we were to do one of these lists, I'm looking at the past, not the future. Now, if that's the context you add, all right, give me your top 10 coaches for the next 10 years. That's a different conversation. But if you're ranking who are the best coaches in college football, I can only go off of what you accomplished. I'm not trying to predict the future. I can't. But basing, basing it off the past, what we've seen from these coaches, I think Dabo's still number two. Saban is clearly number one, regardless of what may have happened last year against Kirby or in the national championship. I don't care. And I think Dabo's number two. And if you want to bump up Kirby just because of that national title and talk about the recent history, in that case, wouldn't you also bump him up ahead of Saban then for recent history? Because you just Kirby just beat Saban in the biggest game of the year. I think Saban's one. Dabo's two. If you want to put Kirby at number three, fine with me but just because he finally won a national championship i don't think that's enough i don't think you know as as the wind blows we should be updating these things so quickly like oh hold on wait a minute forget all the other years kirby just won a national he's the better coach than dabba i think dabba has a longer track record and up until that win that one win and it's a big win but that one game out of a long career that one game in the national championship this past year instead we were talking about kirby kind of being for lack of a better term, a bit of a choke artist, right? Unable to win that big game. Unable to beat Alabama, to get over the hump with the talent that he's had there. I still think Dabo's number two. Where I do agree with Feinbaum is moving forward. I do feel better about Kirby, 
And if we were to update this list in, say, five years, maybe I'd change my mind in the next couple of years. Maybe 12 months from now, I'm changing my mind. But as we sit here today, when this list was put out this week, yeah, I think Dabo's still number two. He has not lost that spot to Kirby Smart, despite Kirby finally getting a national championship. All right, congrats. You won a national championship. Now you got to get a second one, because that's what Dabo did. Right, as impressive as it was that Kirby finally got that ring, okay, go try to win a second trophy, because that's what Dabo did. Let's not minimize winning national championships. Just like when you look at coaches in the NFL, Major League, whoever, right? Pick any sport. To say that a coach that maybe has never won, right? Oh, he just he just never had the players. He was a better coach. Well, it's about winning, and it's about winning championships. So it's hard to write off a guy who has had won more championships and did so by taking over a program that uh, was in a much different spot than when Kirby got to Georgia. Mark Rick at least had them. You know, it's kind of why he lost his job. They're on the doorstep. And then Kirby continued that tradition for a while before finally getting uh, clearing that hurdle this past year. But Dabo still has the better track record in the past. In the future, maybe not so much. But all I can go off of is your resume, what you've done so far. And I think Dabo winning two at Clemson is more impressive than Kirby winning one at Georgia. Even if he has to battle with Alabama every year. Dabo had to battle with Alabama to win those national championships, and he did just fine. Speaking of top coaches, Pro Football Focus put out a list. Top 10 coaches in the NFL. Now, Pro Football Focus, I like them. I don't, you know, I don't uh, believe everything they put out. I don't take it as gospel, but I do like, I think it's a good resource for a lot of things, especially if you talk about, like, offensive linemen and the rankings there. They put out top 10 coaches. Now, Pro Football Focus is very analytical. So I don't know if there's some sort of analytical study that got them to this top 10 list. Number one, Bill Belichick. I would hope so. We can all agree there. Number two, they have John Harbaugh, second best coach in the NFL. And this is for, uh, I guess, 2022. Again, I don't know if they're power ranking the coaches for this year or looking back at past success. Number three, they have Andy Reid. All right, solid top three. I'm not going to nitpick there. If you want to put Reid ahead of Harbaugh, all right, fine. I think those are probably the top three coaches based off of track record. Then you get to number four. Pro Football Focus has Cliff Kingsbury as the fourth best coach in the NFL. Why? His teams fall apart in the second half every year going back to college, and he has never won a playoff game. How is he the fourth best coach in the league? Pete Carroll's number five. If we're going off of resume, he should be in the top ten. Five, yeah, maybe. But he should be at least in the conversation. If we're trying to predict future outcome, yeah, obviously not top five. They're going to struggle. Matt LaFleur is sixth. He's had a lot of success. He's setting records, so hard to argue. Skeptics would say, well, he has Aaron Rodgers. Kyle Shanahan, 7. Mike Rabel, 8. Frank Reich, 9. Mike McCarthy, 10. Reich in the top 10, and I'm a big Frank Reich guy, but I, I think he's a little unproven. He hasn't won a playoff game yet either, right? And Mike McCarthy, 10. Uh, I don't think he's even going to be employed in the next 12 months. Meanwhile, no uh, Mike Tomlin's the first one that comes to mind. Oh, no Sean McVay who has already been in two Super Bowls and just won one. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, uh, uh, obvious omissions. But Belichick, Harbaugh, Reed, top three. Then you get to Cliff Kingsbury, four. Frank Reich and Mike McCarthy, top ten. No Tomlin or Sean McVay. Trent, what do you think of Pro Football Focus's top ten list of the ten best coaches in the NFL? Well, I, I think, first of all, it's disrespectful to uh, Mike Tomlin, who's never had a losing yes. season as a Steelers head coach. I mean, he's a Super Bowl champion. That's absolutely asinine. And second of all, there's a coach, like you mentioned, Sean McVay, who just won a Super Bowl and has you know, created one of the more prolific offenses we've seen in the NFL in the past couple of years. So 
Yeah, I don't know what's going on over there at uh, PFF. Uh, I know uh, Chris Collinsworth, I believe, owns and runs it. Yeah, maybe we need to uh, look at some of the talent that's uh, putting these together because that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you agree, right, with Mike Tomlin? That's the first name that came yeah. to mind when I saw this. Uh, obviously, Sean McVay, but Mike Tomlin never had a losing seat. You're going to put that over Mike McCarthy? I, I, I am baffled right now. Yeah, no, I agree. Tomlin is the first one. McVay should be there, too. It's remarkable. I mean, we've probably become numb to the point that people don't realize how crazy it is. Tomlin's been a head coach for 15 years. It's not like he just got the job. 15 years without ever having a losing season in a sport that is the most unpredictable, that is the most parody, that every year we have a team go from first to worst and worst to first. 15 years, he's never had a losing season. Now, I know he had Ben Roethlisberger, right? That helps. But Roethlisberger, these last couple of years, not the same guy. There was plenty of times where Roethlisberger was injured. Michael Vick was starting games at one point. Has never had a losing season. It's remarkable. And I would even go so far, and I know this may be a hot take, it's a little bold, because of that fact and the consistency, and he has a Super Bowl, I may even put Tomlin number two. Wow. Really? you tell me, Andy, Andy Reid's only won one Super Bowl. Tomlin has one Super Bowl, and Tomlin's been more consistent. Has Andy Reid gone 15 years without a losing season? I don't think so. Now you could tell me Reid had, you know, until Patrick Mahomes, lesser quarterbacks. But Andy Reid was a historic uh, – Choker's too strong of a word. I used that earlier at Kirby. It's not the right term. Just a coach that came up uh, short oftentimes in the playoffs. And Andy Reid is also notoriously bad with timeouts and game management. Great offensive coach. Not good on the in-game decisions. But I was wondering. I was thinking about that. I don't know. Like Belichick, just like college football. Saban is the clear number one. I think Dabo's still certainly number two, but people evidently will debate it. In the NFL, Belichick clearly number one. He's the greatest coach of all time. And then who's number two? Like even Harbaugh, he only has one Super Bowl championship, and he's had a few losing seasons. And him and Tomlin are in the same division. I don't know what the record is head-to-head. They were both hired the same year. Same number of playoff. um, uh, uh, Harbaugh's got a couple more playoff wins, actually. But similar playoff records. Both have one Super Bowl, both in the same divisions. Tomlin has a better winning percentage overall. I don't know. Who, who, is, who would you say is the second best coach in the NFL? It's hard not to either say, like you said, Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid comes to mind. But personally, Luke, if we're talking right now, I, I, Sean McVay has got to be in that conversation. I, I feel like the way he's kind of turned around the Rams organization as the head coach being so young, his creative offenses, you have to throw him in that conversation, I feel like, as at least a top five coach. I mean, if we're really talking about this, I think – Kyle Shanahan as well. I mean, they've been deep playoff runs basically every single year outside of one that he's been the head coach of the 49ers. I think you have to put all those guys into consideration right now. Yeah, McVay, certainly, if we're talking right now, uh, he too has never had a losing season. Now, granted, it's been five years. Right. But he's always had success right from the jump. Two Super Bowl appearances in five years total. Just won the Super Bowl. So he doesn't have as long of a resume or track record as some of those other coaches. But, yes, if we're power ranking for the immediate future – Coaches, McVay, absolutely. Certainly, even in this list, probably should be top five. And you can make a case that second-best coach would be McVay. I think also Mike Vrabel needs to be a tad bit. I know his success hasn't been there, but I mean, think about last year. They had, what, 90 players in total come through the active roster and still finish first in the AFC Coach of the Year. I think he could be in the conversation for a top-five coach right now. Vrabel is very underrated. Yes. Now, his teams haven't done well enough in the playoffs, but he does have Ryan Tannehill. So I think that's why people downgrade him. But same idea, four years as a head coach, has had four winning seasons. He's won uh, the division the last two years, and he is doing it with Ryan Tannehill. And as Trent said, a lot of injuries. They led the league in injuries this past year, and they still won 12 games. 
Now in the playoffs, they've only won a playoff game once in the four years. That's where they're, you know, a little. That's why they're slack. That's why they just drafted a quarterback. Tannehill's not really the guy. But yeah, I think Vrabel's done a really good job. People don't pay attention to him. Uh, last couple names that I want to get your take on: Frank Reich in the top ten. I I, I do not agree with that. Uh, and I know you're a big Frank Reich guy and, Frank a, Reich. and a Colts guy. I understand that, but I am not high on Frank Reich whatsoever, especially the way. And you can put a lot of the blame uh, on Carson Wentz and his quarterback play last year for the uh, downgrade of the Colts. But man, I haven't seen enough from Frank Reich to think that he's a top ten coach over Mike Tomlin right now. I mean, that's no, that's, true. that's ridiculous. It's true. And Sean McVay. Yeah, Tomlin should be ahead of, obviously, almost all these guys. <laughs> and then Mike McCarthy, number 10. Yeah, Maybe maybe I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm not too fond of Mike McCarthy, especially the way the Packers uh, ended his career. But, no, I, I think that first year, yes, you lost Dak Prescott. The Cowboys have been a disappointment. I know they've been to the playoffs, but every single year they've been a disappointment with him at the helm of the uh, franchise. So, no, I don't think he's a, he's a top 10 coach right now. No, I agree. I don't think he'll be even a coach a year from now. <laughs> Sean Payton's eyeing that yeah. job right now. <laughs> yeah. Now, now there's there's another question. Are we talk? We must just be talking active coaches, right? Because right? Sean Payton obviously is one. If you're talking, uh, he just left the, the the game, obviously. But if Sean Payton was still employed, he would have to be on the top ten list. But I guess we are talking active coaches. So now you talk Dennis Allen in New Orleans, so we could exclude Sean Payton. But yeah, Mike Tomlin and uh, McVeigh out of the top ten seems bold. Kyle Brandt called it the worst list he's ever seen. That may be hyperbolic, but it's not a great list by Pro Football Focus. And I like those guys over there. We have them on the show all the time. All right, we have to take a timeout. We've gone way too long here in the first hour. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. The sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Lighten up while you still can. Don't even try to understand. Just find a place to make your stand. Take it easy. Well, I'm standing on a corner in Winslow, It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow. Here on ESPN Radio. We were talking about um, that list of top 10 NFL coaches last segment put out by Pro Football Focus. Now, Trent, you asked a good question during the commercial break. But a year from now, where could we see the most change? So let me ask you. I'll put you on the spot. You asked a great question. Uh, Which coach could you see over the next, say, 12 months suffering the biggest drop to their stock and then the opposite. Who do you think 12 months from now will be looking at and say, actually, this guy, he may be a better coach than we thought. Who's going to help themselves out the most and who's going to hurt themselves this season alone? I, I think it's tough to not say uh, Mike McDaniel down in Miami, the way that they've constructed that roster. I, the big question, obviously, is their quarterback, Tua. You, you know, can he get these weapons the ball? Now, like you mentioned, Ryan Tannehill and a couple other quarterbacks that are kind of mediocre. I would put t- uh, Tua in that mediocre yeah. kind of category. 
but he has weapons around him. Mike Vrabel looks amazing because Ryan Tannehill, yeah, as mediocre as he is, he had A.J. Brown catching balls and, you know, one of the best running backs in NFL history, that being Derrick Henry in the backfield. Mike McDaniel has those weapons down in Miami, so I think he could potentially take a massive jump. Now, obviously, the AFC is an incredibly tough division. Going to be hard to beat the Bills. Going to be hard to beat the Patriots, even though Miami has the Patriots number. As far as falling goes, if Trey Lance starts for the 49ers this season, I could see Kyle Shanahan taking a significant dip out of that top 10 because personally, and I don't want to harp on Trey Lance, I've been doing a lot this week for some reason, but I don't see him as a true NFL starter as of right now. He's lucky that he has the amount of talent around him to be able to be successful, but we saw him in a couple games last year. I wasn't super hyped about him. Maybe he can make a jump in a year or two, but they're throwing him in immediately, so we'll have to see, but I think if the success of Trey Lance doesn't go the way that it should, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch aren't going to look great trading three first-round picks away just to get Trey Lance when you got a quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo who has led you to the playoffs and a Super Bowl on numerous occasions. I like that thought about Shanahan and the Niners. Because, yes, I, I'm not a big Trey Lance guy either. I think the Niners will take a step back if they go with Trey Lance. And I like Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. And he's a good, obviously a good offensive coach, but he does have a losing record in San Francisco. Now, I know he's been to two NFC titles, so it's been, you know, boom or bust. Uh, but overall, losing record, he's only had two winning seasons in five years. And when Jimmy Garoppolo is not the starting quarterback, he's won something like a, a 30% of his games. The Niners have been terrible without Garoppolo. So, yes, if they go with Trey Lance and they have, say, a 500 season, maybe a losing season, now you're looking at, like, well, hold on. You've been here six years. We've only had two winning years. Shanahan's one of those guys that he... I don't know, if I were to compare him to somebody, almost maybe like a Kyrie Irving in the NBA, and I love Kyrie, but where, or maybe Jason Tatum, who I've been tough on, because everyone's saying he's a superstar. I don't see it, at least not yet. Where you get wrapped up in the potential or like the capabilities. You see what Shanahan and the Niners are capable of, but it doesn't happen enough. You've had two winning seasons in five years, but when you have a winning season, you go all the way to the MC title game, Debo Samuel's having a great year. You could see that potential is there. But at a certain point, you got to show me enough. Now, I'm not telling you that Shanahan should be fired. But that's why coaches lose. You could hire the, the most impressive, talented coach. But if he's not winning enough games, at a certain point, he's going to lose his job. Kyrie's another where we talk about. And I really do believe Kyrie's one of the best point guards we've ever seen. He's probably the best scorer for his size. But everywhere he goes, right, it's an issue. They're not winning. And he's creating problems. And at a certain point, it's not matching what you expect from him or what he's capable of doing with the actual output you're getting. And for Shanahan, if you have a bad year this year, you see what he's what the potential is, what he's capable of, and how talented he may be. But it's like, man, looking at the back of your baseball card here, you don't have a great record in San Francisco, which is odd because they've been in two of the last three NFC title games. Yeah, we hold them in such a high regard yeah. because of their success. And without Jimmy Garoppolo, like you said, they struggle mightily. Now, a name that wasn't on that list, or it might have been, and I missed it, Brandon Staley out for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Mm. He also might be able to make a massive leap because of how good that defense looks right now. And they have all the weapons around them. But first two years, two uh, missed playoff opportunities with a generational quarterback in Justin Herbert. He's a, you know, analytics guru, and it's sometimes to his fault. So we will uh, we'll have to see. But he could also make a jump in the top ten if, if they do make the playoffs and have a good run. That's another good candidate. I would say no just because I'm not a Staley guy. But, yeah, he yeah. I mean, they have one of the most talented rosters. I would say Sean McDermott's another, right, in Buffalo. If the Bills, I mean, they are, what, Super Bowl favorites? Yeah, right? they are, plus they, and by far Super Bowl favorites. Uh, uh, Tampa Bay's plus 800, Buffalo's plus 650 right now. Yeah, so I think that's another one. 
And then I look at if we're going off this top ten list of pro football focus, let me tell you, there's this young whippersnapper named Sean McVay who uh, <laughs> you may be haven't heard of, but a year from now you may be talking about him as a top ten coach. And if we're going off this top ten list from pro football focus that we've been analyzing here this afternoon, the obvious one to fall out would probably be Mike McCarthy, who's number 10 on this list. And, again, I'll reiterate, I probably won't have that job a year from now. So that will be the obvious one just based off of this list, a coach that right now is at least by somebody considered top 10 that I think will fall out of the top 10. Hey, coming up, I actually meant to get to it there, but then Trent asked a great question in the commercial break, and I said, oh, that's fascinating. We'll get to quarterbacks coming up. In college football, because every year the hype is always around a quarterback or two, and they're never the ones that are drafted first. Who is that sleeper in college football this year at the quarterback position? And one of those potential sleepers has a really odd habit that may keep me from wanting them on my team. We'll get to that coming up. Plus, live golf tour getting off and rolling and punishments handed down for the golfers that left the tour. We'll get to that as well. Plenty more to do. Hour two coming up next. It's the More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234 CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery coming up later on this afternoon and give away tickets to the Battery's home match Saturday night. So stay tuned for that a little bit later on. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcast. And the podcast are available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. You can also get in touch with the show at charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page and leave a comment for the show there. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Or join the conversation on the phones, 843 721 9500. Hey, don't forget, a few reminders left for next week. The latest week, week five already. I'm going to sound like Francesa and tell you how quickly the summer golf tour is going. It's already week five. Can you believe it? Week five of our 2022 summer golf tour. Monday morning, following the weekend, 8 a.m., foursomes will go on sale for Stono Ferry. And the foursomes begin at just 98, or the foursomes are, 98.9, $98.90. Great deal, great courses. We're almost halfway through already, so if you've missed out so far, you'll still have some more opportunities. But make sure 
you get to the computer right at 8 a.m. because within minutes, these foursomes are gone. So Monday, 8 a.m., set the calendar. Look, I get it. It's tough. You have a long weekend. You got to wake up. Oh, you're not thinking about it first thing on Monday. But apparently enough people are because these foursomes fly off the shelves. Stone O Ferry, Monday morning, 8 a.m. Write it in the calendar today. Set that alarm. Be at the computer, charlestonsportsradio.com. Monday morning, 8 a.m. Get your foursome while you can. Speaking of golf, we've been talking so much about the Live Golf Tour over the past week. Well, they actually uh, kicked off the event here. We're off and rolling. And the PGA Tour announced their punishments in response today. And I was happy with the news. They have suspended the 17 golfers that made the move so far from the PGA Tour to the Live Golf Tour. I don't even know what the, what are they actually calling it? Live Golf what? Because it's not a tour yet. And there's more than one event. Is there an extra word? Is it the Live Golf something? I, I don't think. I've just is seen Live, live golf? golf. Yeah, just Live or 54 Golf or a LIV yeah, right, Golf, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's like a tournament group or, or whatever they call it. it. It is a little confusing. But, yeah, you're right. They did kick off today with some pretty staggering numbers. Yes. So now you're part of those numbers, right? You checked it out? This yeah. Morning? So I tuned in, I would say, Luke, around 1130. 30, and uh, I looked at the uh, concurrent viewership on YouTube. There was 120,000 people watching this uh, this first round of the Live Golf event. Pretty crazy numbers to think about. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and now look, part of it may be that the USFL, the XFL, AF, every new thing goes through this at first where you put up big numbers. So I guess we'll have to wait and see how things go throughout the eight events. This is just the first day. I, too, am curious. Uh, I didn't have a moment this morning. I, was, I thought about it, but I never got around to actually checking it out. I'm actually looking it up right now to see if I can bring it up here. Um, so I'm curious, too, to check this whole thing out. I'm sure most golf fans are just to see what's going on. Here, I just brought it up on the computer in here. It says right now we got uh, 100,000 watching right now. But my point being, right, of course, you'll probably get big numbers off the bat. Will people stay around? We'll see in the coming events. They're doing eight events spread out throughout this year. But there's, there's buzz around this thing for sure. And believe you me, if the numbers are impressive enough, people will get involved, even if it's Saudi-backed. I mean, it didn't stop the golfers from making their money. And if TV networks think they can make money or sponsors, different companies think that they can make money off of it, they will too. This won't just stop with the athletes. So while this is only on YouTube now, if this becomes a big enough thing, and I don't know if it will or not. I have no idea. We'll see. I could see it being a big thing right away, like right now, and then people, you know, like, eh, whatever. Because I'll say this, there's 48 golfers in these events. Only 17 came from the PGA Tour. So a lot of the other golfers, some of them are guys that aren't good enough to play on the tour. They're just trying to fill out a roster. Now, if they're going to start to pluck more talent from the PGA Tour, then absolutely it becomes more intriguing. But I'm curious to see how many people will be truly invested in all of this for a long period of time if, 75% of the golfers you're watching, you really, you know, you don't know, or a third of the golfers you've never heard of. We'll find out. But so far today, a pretty good debut in terms of the numbers for the Live Golf Tour. Now, when you were watching it, anything stand out about the presentation or how it was operating, uh, anything unique or that uh, piqued your interest, stood out from, from what you saw this morning? I'm still trying to figure out the teams that yeah. they have. I, I think that's pretty interesting. I don't really understand the uh, team dynamic uh, of it, but, I mean – 
Personally, it seemed like a normal golf broadcast. They were speaking quietly, talking about the shots. There there was a decent amount of fans out there uh, watching the event. Phil Mickelson was wearing an Augusta National vest, which was uh, very interesting. Definitely Phil's playing some mind games right now. But uh, it seemed like a pretty average, normal golf broadcast. I'm watching Phil right now uh, on the green trying to putt. He's at even so far today. And uh, We'll play that play. <laughs> I've never done golf before. It's one of the few sports I haven't done. Um, but, yeah, watching Phil right here. It looks, it looks good quality, Live Golf Tour. Yeah, that is interesting about his uh, wardrobe choice. I'm sure it was cer- he didn't just happen to grab something this morning running out the, out the door. There's certainly intent behind it. Um, but, anyways, Live Golf Tour is uh, off and rolling. And uh, we'll see how things go throughout this, this first event this weekend. Now, as I was saying before, the PGA Tour came out with um, a strict punishment, and I like it. I agree with it. It's what I've been saying. Now, they were waiting until these guys actually teed off with the Live Golf Tour. They were giving them that opportunity that in the 11th hour, you could still back out. But once this thing started this morning, the PGA Tour then announced their punishment, and they are suspending those 17 players that made the move and announced suspensions for any other players that moved to the Live Golf Tour. And that's exactly what they should do. You got to be strict here. You can always go back, right? It's like being a parent. Now, I've never been a parent, but you can always peel back the punishment. You can always, uh, you ground somebody for a week, and then, you know, you could be the nice parent, and after five days, like, okay, you're not grounded anymore. You can always take away the punishment, but it's hard to add on. If you don't punish your kid for doing something, and then retroactively, you try to punish them a week later, like, hey, remember when you did that thing? Well, you're grounded now. That's not going to go over well. In fact, I used to work my first job, one of my first jobs in commercial radio was, at, was as a producer. I worked on the other side of the glass. And I worked with um, a former politician. I worked for a station that was hardly sports. We had a, a sports talk show, but it was mostly politics. And I was not interested, but it was a job. And I was the producer. Anyways, one of the things that I remember most from that show, for whatever reason, is he was a former politician, and he told me, every politician will schedule their vacation longer than they actually go on. So they, they could all use the reason, hey, I came back early off vacation for this. And it's the same idea with, like, as a parent, right? Give a stricter punishment, then you can look like a good parent. When you punish your kid for a week, and then four days later say, okay, you're no longer punished. When all along, you really only wanted to ground them for four days. Now it makes you look like uh, the good uh, father that you got the punishment in, your kid learned his lesson, but then you also, at the end, right, you, you look like still the cool dad. You win the back over a little bit by going a little easier on the punishment and thinking that they earned it. And maybe they did. But I always remember that idea about politics. Presidents, anything, any politician, they'll schedule a vacation, and then they intend, they know, oh, yeah, we're only going to be there for a week. We'll say we'll be there for 10 days. And then they could use that, re- hey, I came back early off my vacation. So to bring the to draw the parallel to this, same idea, you could always go strict with the punishment and then peel it back later on. So you need to drop that hammer, set an example, and try to keep others from leaving your tour for the Live Golf Tour. So I liked this response from the PGA Tour today. And the way I interpret it is that they're suspended until they say they aren't. They didn't give any sort of time frame. As I understand it, it's one of those like indefinite suspensions, which theoretically could just go on. But for now, it's like, yeah, you're not, you're not coming back here until we say you can. And I like that idea. You're choosing them or us. We're not going to let you double dip here and get the best of both worlds. Right, that's our competition. We can't be losing all our talent to the competition. So I like the response from the PGA Tour. Now let's get to uh, a little bit of sound. Here was um, 
Rory McIlroy was asked about all these guys leaving the uh, PGA Tour for the Live Golf Tour. Here's what Rory had to say yesterday about uh, the latest drama in the golf world. I think I think my stance on it has been pretty clear from the start. It's um, it's not something that I want to uh, participate in. Um, I certainly understand the guys that have went. I understand what their um, their goals and their ambitions are in their life. And you know, I'm not. You know, certainly not knocking anyone for going. It's it's their life. It's their decision. They can live it the way they want to. Um, but for me, you know, I I want to play on the PGA Tour against the best players in the world. And um, you know, I think for me, I you know, I was speaking to a few people yesterday, and and one of the comments was anything, any decision that you make in your life that's purely for money, usually doesn't end up going the right way. Purely for money. That's the important buzzword there, purely. right? Because we all make decisions for money. But the one that's only made for money is what Rory's saying usually doesn't work out for you. Now, one of the things I repeat here on the show often because I uh, loved when I heard it, and it, it, it's something that I always think of, but it's the idea, the, the expression of, of don't chase money, chase good management. And it's similar here, right? These guys all just chase money. Forget good management. Now, we could say what you, you, say what you want about the PGA Tour, uh, but I think they still are uh, higher up in the power rankings than the Saudi Arabians running the uh, the live golf tour or golf events, whatever you want to call them. But these guys truly are just chasing money. Now, in their defense, and I've come to their defense this week because we're fair around here, when you offer somebody $200 million guaranteed and then whatever else they're going to make, even by finishing in last place, they'll make at least a million dollars this year just by showing up. That is hard to turn down, and I acknowledge that. And I think a lot of people are being unfair by saying otherwise. We can all sit here on our high horses, but if somebody ever came to you and offered you life-changing money, I don't think it would be such a hard decision either. I'm less sympathetic for uh, a Phil Mickelson who's made $900 million, or even Dustin Johnson's made $200 million on and off the course. Those are the types of guys that, you know, they probably don't need to make such a move. But a youngster like a Taylor Gooch, yeah, why not take the guaranteed money and set yourself up for, for life? Instead of instead of hoping you win enough events on the tour to make that type of money over uh, your career, and people try to make decisions for the uh, the easier way out all the time. That's the idea. You want to get to a point in your life where you can work easier, where you could be smarter instead of harder, right? Where you could work less and still make more. That's what that's what we're all aiming to do. You don't want to, as you get older, you don't want to work more. You're trying to work less, and that's what these guys can do by making more money. So I'll defend these golfers, right or wrong. I understand why they make the decision. My biggest issue is the fact that they're just not upfront about it, that it's simply about the money. Here was another funny exchange yesterday with a couple of the golfers that made the move. Uh, Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood were uh, at the Live Golf uh, press conference, and uh, this was, uh, I thought, a pretty funny exchange from one of, the, one of the reporters going after them a little bit yesterday. Lee and Ian, is there anywhere in the world you wouldn't play? If Vladimir Putin had a, a tournament, would, would you play there? Speculation. Can't. Not even going to comment on speculation. So, just in a generality, is there any way you wouldn't play on a moral basis if the money was right? Is there any way you wouldn't play? I don't, I don't need to answer that question. Sorry. I don't need to answer that question. Lee, do you want to answer it? Would you, I mean, would you have played in apartheid South Africa, for example? Well, you're just asking us to answer a hypothetical question there, which. 
Well, they're moral questions, answer, aren't they? Answer a question on that. I like that exchange. These, let me tell you, props to these media members, and I think the accents also make it sound maybe not as bad, but they're going, they go right after these golfers with these questions uh, for this Live Golf Tour thing. I appreciate that. That's good. Now, I heard that clip, and uh, I thought it was pretty entertaining, but it reminded me of Ricky Gervais. Now, I've referenced this before. When Gervais hosted the 2020 Golden Globes, it was right before the pandemic started. It is the greatest uh, 10 minutes of live TV you'll ever see. And I go back and I watch this video all the time. But when I heard that round of, of questioning yesterday, it reminded me of one of uh, Ricky's, I don't know if you could even say jokes, but one of uh, the comments he made in 2020 hosting the Golden Globes. Apple roared into the, the TV game with a morning show. A superb drama, yeah. A superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing, made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your god, and f*** off. Okay? So Ricky, two years ago. So good. But when I was watching that clip yesterday, it reminded me of the same thing when he was giving uh, all the Hollywood elites a hard time two years ago at the Golden Gloves. The Live Golf Tour, off and rolling. We'll see how things go moving forward. But the response to the PGA Tour, suspending the golfers who made the move, and I think it's the right call. Coming up, we have to get to um, athletes' superstitions. And also, Aaron Rodgers apparently has a new girlfriend, and she is unique. It's the More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's Throwback Thursday. What's today? It's Thursday. Really? Feels like Tuesday. Tuesday has no feel. Monday has a feel. Friday has a feel. Sunday has a feel. I feel Tuesday and Wednesday. All right, shut up to both of you. On the Morrow Midday Show. Working on a night moves. Trying to make some front page driving news. Working on a night moves. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We were talking about the uh, Live Golf Tour last segment. As Trent said, I, I don't get the teams either, and the team names are also pretty terrible. You have uh, Dustin Johnson's team is the is four aces. Graham McDowell is Niblicks. Ian Poulter is Majestics. You have the Ironheads. You have Stinger. You have Cleeks, Crushers, Smash, High Flyers, Fireballs, Torque, Punch. That is the corniest part of the whole live golf event is these uh, weird names. Pretty corny. And then you have the captains. and I, I think they, like, pick teams. I don't know. Mickelson is the high flyers. It's spelled H-Y flyers, though. 
the high flyers for Phil Mickelson. That's that's uh, like the corniest part of all this. Once you get down to the actual golf, we'll get to trend stakes coming up. But I have to get your opinion on this because I mean we even get gifts dropped off. Everybody knows how big of an Aaron Rodgers fan Trent is. So the latest news is that Aaron Rodgers has himself a new girlfriend. Yeah, I saw those reports. Her name is Blue of Earth. And she is described, she describes herself as a witch and claims she is a medicine woman. Mm. She also happens to dabble in the podcast world, so that must be quite the <laughs> podcast. Um, her real name was Charlotte uh, Brereton, but she changed it to Blue of Earth. Now, Blue is spelled B L U, no E. Pretty cool. Blue of Earth. Rogers has dated Danica Patrick. He's yeah. dated actresses before, multiple actresses. Now he's dating Blue of Earth, who claims she is a witch. As the biggest Rogers fan I know, what are your thoughts on his new girlfriend? You know, Luke, I- I'm not going to come on here and uh, harp on Mr. Rogers' new girlfriend. If he finds his happiness, that's all I care about. Now it is pretty interesting because I believe a month ago, or maybe a month a half, a month and a half ago, I know Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers broke their, uh, you know, they got engaged, and then they said, no, we're not getting engaged anymore. But they were pictured together at some vineyard about a month Mm. and a half ago or so. So I don't know what's going on in Roger's world, but, hey, whatever makes uh, 12 happy, that's all I'm here for. And I might tune into the podcast. I mean, might learn about some holistic medicines and things of that nature. We know he's into the uh, holistic healing and things of that nature, which I absolutely love. I think it's very, very cool and a different way to go about uh, healing your body. But, this is a little interesting by Rodgers, but hey, whatever gets us another Super Bowl, if Blue is going to, uh, I wonder if he calls her just Blue, you know, that's and true. that's in the phone, it's Blue, uh, B-L-U, but if she gets us to another Super Bowl, that's all I care about. That's a good question. Is it just Blue, or do you have to go the full name, Blue of Earth? <laughs> or do people still call her, like I always say, people always say, um, you know, with De Niro, whenever you hear from actors that actually act, or know, they always call him Bob or even like Bobby. Oh, yeah, Bob. No one else calls him Bob. So I'm curious, like, if those that are close to Blue still call her Charlotte, her original birth name, can you call her just Blue? Can you call her Earth? Or is she Blue of Earth? You have to use the full name. Now, if Instagram existed in the 60s, it would look exactly like her account. (laughs) I'm looking at some photos here. Blue of Earth. Would you be against dating a witch? No. no. A witch, by the way. I said witch. Yeah, like witch. In what way? Like, that that's what I would – I would have to learn more about the human being and their witchcraft, if you will, to be able to be uh, comfortable, I guess, with that. But I know a lot of people who are into holistic medicine kind of think of themselves as a witch. And, really? uh, yeah, so I, I would uh, I would do some more investigating into the, uh, the witchcraft, if you will, before I got truly involved. But, hey, again, maybe she can use some of that witchcraft so the Packers can win in the playoffs for once. I mean, what are Ooh, we doing? Oh, now you may be onto something. Maybe that's – that's the trick for Rodgers. He feels like, hold on, right? If we're going to win a Super Bowl, I need some of that witchcraft to get us over the hump. Ooh. If the Packers beat the Vikings week one, I will come on here Monday and claim witchcraft. Oh, I love it. That's I the reason it. why the Vikings will have lost week one. Already a show, Ben. We're 91 days away. Here we go. <laughs> well, hold on. I don't know if I could bet. Now you have a witch on your side, so I don't know if it's a fair bet. It's a good point. Now you have blue of earth. I think that game's in Minnesota, right, week one. Do not let her in the stadium. With her witchcraft in the stands, blue of earth. You better call the security detail. Yes. Make sure they keep her out. Can't allow that. She uh, she has a LinkedIn page, apparently. And by the way, I didn't do all this digging. Other people do, and then I just read about it. So I'm not that uh, creepy to, to look into this person's background that much. I really don't care. 
The people that are creepy are the ones writing about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just reading. Come on, it's out there. Uh, she has a LinkedIn page, though. She worked on events like the MTV Movie Awards, the Academy Awards, the Grammys, and graduated from Florida Southern College in 2013. So there you go. There you go, Aaron. Got himself uh, a new girlfriend. Shailene Woodley, Blue of Earth. You know, it kind of it all balances out. Olivia Munn, I mean, that balances out, <laughs> like, I guess. Now, if you're Shailene, what do you think? Like, I, oh. Now, we don't know. I don't know. I don't read all the back page news. So... I don't know who ended the relationship or how it ended. It seemed like mutual, but it also okay. like from my investigative reporting, it doesn't seem like they are fully, you know, uh, apart. Like because I mentioned the vineyard. I mean, if you're hanging yeah. out, she was sitting on his lap and the Ooh. whole thing at a big table. There was a bunch of you know yups around at the uh, at the in Napa. So there there is some investigating to do with uh, good old Aaron Rodgers. Well, you know, I mean, hippie lifestyle. Who knows what's going on at Woodstock? They were all rolling together in the mud. Yep. You didn't know who was who, so maybe Blue is uh, is all cool with uh, with Shailene hanging around still. It makes more sense now if you noticed uh, at the MVP uh, ceremony the suit he was wearing. Blue of Earth makes more sense that she probably picked out that suit because uh, I love my boy A Rod. There's no doubt, but that was a bold move, my yeah, friend. Bold move. It was. All right, so with all that said, getting back to my question, if you're Shailene, what do you think if Rogers leaves you or whatever, you're no longer dating him, but the next person he starts dating is a self-proclaimed witch? Do you take – is that like an offense to you that he's now dating a witch? You got to feel pretty good. If I was Shailene, I got to feel pretty good about myself, you know, and I'm not you know trying to harp on Blue of Earth or anything like that, but I will say that uh, Shailene Woodley's kind of – she's up there in the rankings as far as uh, actresses go. So I think if Shailene's looking at that, you know, Luke, it's like you date somebody and then they, you know, you break up and then they start dating another person. Sometimes you look at the other person you're like, yeah, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good oh, yeah. about myself right now. So I think Shailene's doing the same thing right now. Okay. Are you into uh, any shows or the movies that have witches? Are you into that, that type of entertainment at all? No, not really. Yeah. Not really. I just got, like, you know, a couple family members that are into the holistic medicines oh. and everything like that. So, you know, I try to tread lightly when I'm, uh, when I'm speaking on it so I don't get any phone calls post-show. The microphones aren't on. Tell me what you, <laughs> tell me what you really think. Nobody's listening right now. Uh. We're in a commercial break. Um, I tell you what, I loved... And I watched it a couple of weeks ago for the first time in years. Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. Oh, great show. That was my show growing up, let great me tell show. you. Great show. Yeah, on TGIF. And I haven't seen it in years. I guess Netflix came out with like a horror version of the show, which I may have to check out. Uh, they took it a little dark. But I used to love good, uh, a good old Sabrina, the Teenage Witch back in the day. And Salem the Cat, fantastic. And then somewhat of a guilty pleasure i got a little bit into and i usually don't like these shows i'm not a twilight guy i i don't like uh, things that as i always say here on the show the only entertainment i like things that are realistic i'm not into sci-fi i'm not into things that are, are too far-fetched and so i'm not into the whole vampire and witch type of storylines i don't watch that stuff but the one guilty pleasure i got a little bit into vampire diaries mm, okay. and there are some witch characters in that show okay okay not bad not a bad show. Yeah. So I'll admit that. Vampire Diaries and Sabrina. Those are the only witches in my life. No uh, Blue the Earth, whatever her name is going around. Blue of Earth. So anyways. You and I have fair enough skin to where we could, probably could have been cast as extras in Vampire <laughs> Diaries at some point. That's true. <laughs> That's a fair point. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, there was Blue Sky way back when dating one of the members of the Allman Brothers. Now we have uh, Blue of Earth. If it leads to Aaron Rodgers winning a Super Bowl, put her in the Hall of Fame. Uh, that'd be quite the story. 
So anyways, that's the big news going on. Can you tell it's the NFL offseason? <laughs> Waiting for games. Instead, we have to focus on Blue of Earth. Where would she be in the power rankings of Aaron Rodgers' girlfriends? Oh, that, that's that's a tough one, Luke. That, that's a big tough one. Hope Blue is uh, not listening. But, I, I mean, <laughs> if you go if you go down the list, right, Danica Patrick, obviously an absolute legend. Olivia Munn, I, I mean, I've got – I have to put her at the uh, hierarchy, I yeah, would say. I agree. I'm with you. Yeah, she's she's amazing and uh, also is absolutely uh, gorgeous. Shailene Woodley is probably – I go Olivia Munn, Shailene Woodley, Danica, and then uh, Blue of Earth right now, and whoever else Aaron has dated over uh, his NFL career because it seems to be a lot. Yeah. I'd probably put uh, Danica number two there, but mm. I'm with you. Olivia Munn will probably be on the top of the list. And now here's a whole website with all his past girlfriends too. There's a few others. How about how about how do you think Aaron feels that uh, Olivia Munn left him for uh, John Mulaney and uh, now they have a kid together? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a that's um, yeah, that's a drop down yeah. for sure. I love John Mulaney. Don't get me wrong; I think he's a funny guy, but that's a, that's a lot different than dating a uh, Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, even just uh, I don't know, just everything about it. Aaron Rodgers seems like a better cat. I don't know. He's although Aaron Rodgers comes off as a little bit of a strange guy. I don't know what Mulaney's personality is. Uh, you know, he's a comedian, so you think he's got some good, uh, some sort of personality. Comedians can be a little dark, though. But I think all around, Rodgers is a better, if I were to say so myself, a better catch than uh, John Mulaney. So, yeah, that's that's a little bit of a downgrade for Olivia Munn. But, hey, good for her. Hopefully they're happy. When we come back, it's time for Trent's Takes. It's the Mar Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Hey, don't forget, coming up a week from today, you can join the Gamecock Club for the Charleston County Welcome Home Tour featuring Lamont Paris and Shane Beamer, the basketball and football coaches for South Carolina. And you can join them a week from tonight for exclusive Gamecock athletic updates, a Q&A session, autographs, and more. Next Thursday, a week from today, the Porter Room at Holy City Brewing Company. Doors open at 6 p.m. Tickets are $40, $15 for kids 12 and under. And tickets include food provided by the Kick and Chicken. Cash bar is available. It is a week from today. Next Thursday, the Porter Room at Holy City Brewing. Go meet Shane Beamer and Lamont Paris. We do it around this time each and every day. It's time to find out what's on the mind of the producer. It's time for Trent's Takes. What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's Panthers. right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The Radio Cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, couple takeaways from uh, Game 3 last night in Boston. First of all, the crowd was absolutely electric. Love hearing the chants from the Boston crowd. First time in 10 years being in Boston. Absolutely love it. But I will say one quick thing about their fans on Twitter. Because we know Boston sports fans can be uh, rather interesting and a little bit boisterous with their takes. Uh, a lot of them were tweeting at Clay Thompson because, you know, he made some comments post game about 
you know, the language being used by the uh, fans and said, you know, there's children in the crowd. Good job, Boston. And uh, all the uh, Celtics fans were tweeting, welcome to the NBA Finals to the Warriors. Quite interesting that they haven't been in the finals in over 10 years and uh, the fans are tweeting welcome to the finals when this Warriors team has been into what six out of the last eight finals so I think they know hostile environments are where to be yeah Clay didn't have to go on there and kind of complain about the fans that's obviously going to cause an uprising well Boston Celtics fans take a little step back because you're facing a team that has won you know three championships in what 10 years uh, in the last 10 years or so so it's very interesting to see with the fans, but I will say, Luke, I know a lot of the pundits that are going on the, uh, you know, get-ups and things of that nature are saying that the Warriors are dead. I'm not counting this team out until, you know, the final minutes of the uh, last game, with that being Game 7, Game 6, because we've seen the Warriors over the years absolutely dominate the finals and come back when their back is against the wall. I don't believe in this Boston team to go seven games against the Warriors, especially we see these third quarters. I know, you know, they, they came back after the Warriors took a small lead early uh, or late in the third quarter, excuse me. But that's, again, not a team you want to fall behind, especially if Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are hitting their shots. Andrew Wiggins played well last night, need more from Jordan Poole, but I'm not counting this Warriors team out until the final minutes. I really can't just because of the history of this team. And you also have a guy named Steph Curry that can bring you back in any game if he's just got a little switch, a little fire. Now, if he's injured, that's a different story. But I think it's a little overreaction to say that the Warriors are dead right now, only being down a game going into game four. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's just us. It's uh, what we do right after yeah. every game. Like, oh, that they have the series now. Because for Golden State, you just need to split these two, and you can still do that. You win game four, you're tied going home, and you can take the lead by winning at home in game five. And if you tie the series, it becomes a three-game series where you have two of the three games at home. So to me, it's far from over, unless you're telling me Curry is going to be banged up, not 100% injured. Right. Then the Warriors trailing now already in trouble. Uh, but, yeah, I'm with you. The reason why I can't immediately put this series away or trust Boston is just because they're such a young team that – they haven't shown me the ability to consistently string games together right. that would put a series away. So I think the Celtics will, by like proxy there, allow Golden State to hang in the series. And even if the Celtics win this series, they'll turn it into a long series just because of how inconsistent they are. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, yeah, don't count the Warriors out just yet, folks. I think they can come back from any deficit possible. Game four is going to be interesting. I'd probably take the Warriors. I'm not sure what the number is right now, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. Luke? I mentioned it earlier, we are 91 days away from NFL football. I talk about NFL football every time on Trent's Takes because it is my favorite thing on earth and nothing even comes close to it. So I ask you this question, 91 days away, which team has a better chance of starting their season 9-1 or better? Is it the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Buffalo Bills? I'll say right now, as far as divisions and conference go, I would say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a better chance of going 9-1 and one than the Buffalo Bills. However, I know they're Super Bowl favorites, but in the AFC, they're going to have a lot of tough games. I mean, the Bills open up against the Rams week one, so that's a tough game. There's no doubt about it. So I would say right now the better team, better chance of going 9-1, and one, that would be the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tough question. I'm trying to bring up the schedules quick here just to get an idea. Ooh, the Bills have a tough start to yes. the schedule. 
Yeah, they start. So, as you said, the Rams game on the road. Then you get the playoff Titans week two. Then you have to go to Miami. Then you go to Baltimore. Then you get the Steelers at home. But then you go to Kansas City. Then you get the Packers. Mm. And that's the first seven games. So, I won't even look at the Buccaneers' schedule. I will say Tampa Bay, I give them a better chance. Plus, as good as Josh Allen's been, I trust Tom Brady more. So, I think the Bucs will get off to uh, a better start. If I had to guess, they have the better chances of getting off to that hot start. The Bills, that's what happens when, you know, you're a first-place team. You get a first-place schedule. That's a tough schedule to begin the year for them. Yeah, no doubt about it. So we'll have to see there. But I just found that a little interesting. Now, Luke, we talked about the salary cap yesterday in the NFL. The Rams continue to do it. They signed Cooper Cup to a three-year, $80 million contract extension, $75 million guaranteed, up to $110 million in incentives over the next three seasons, the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. And I actually listened to uh, Andrew Brandt, former GM of the uh, Packers. He was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, and he did a little salary cap 101. The salary cap is a real thing, but the loopholes are much, you know, they allow for uh, proration and voided years and things of that nature. It's something that the NBA and the NHL do not allow. So you can kick the can down the road for these contracts and the cash rich owners like Stan Kroenke who are able to sit down and write Matthew Stafford a $45 million check, write Aaron Donald an $80 million check. They will do so because it's within their right as far as contracts go. They turn those into signing bonuses so they stay under the cap every single season. And if you're a team, especially if you're a fan of a team that doesn't have a cash-rich owner, in this NFL today, you are going to fall behind and you're going to fall behind very quickly, especially with the money that's coming in. The Walton family obviously going to Denver. No surprises there. I mean, the guy who owns it right now, I believe, Mr. Walton, he is worth $60 billion. So he can cut a couple checks every so often if need be, Luke. And he will probably cut checks for big free agents. But if you're a fan of a team that doesn't have one of these cash-rich owners, by what Andrew Brandt said yesterday, you were in trouble for the next uh, however long the NFL continues, Luke. And I'm not sure if the Minnesota Vikings have a cash-rich owner or not, but he's going to have to, you know, cough up some stuff if he wants to beat the Packers, even though the Packers don't even have an owner to begin with. You mentioned, uh, yeah, the Broncos and the Walton family, which is, you know, from the the Walmart. Um, If you think it's bad enough that Rob Walton is able to buy the Broncos just because he inherited, like, his father's money, how about Stan Kroenke of the Rams who married into that family? That's the smart move. (laughs) Not even being born into the family. Marrying in, and now the Rams have all this money to spend on a Cooper Cup and an Aaron Donald. What you said is true about the the rich owners, and it's why I think the Panthers are so frustrating because they have the richest owner, uh, at least prior to this Broncos um, uh, uh, change. This uh, the selling of the Broncos, but the Panthers have the richest owner, and uh, yet they can't win more than five games, and you know get the quarterback situation figured out. So I think that's what's frustrating. But I just saw a recent list of NBA teams that spend the most on their players, not salary, but in terms of like investing on their players, uh, money spent on recovery, food, yada yada yada, all that stuff. The Warriors are number one. They spend more on their guys than anybody in the NBA. And the best team in the NBA last eight years, the Warriors. So it proves that point that, yeah, you need an owner who has money and is willing to spend that money beyond just the salary cap to take care of their guys. And that's what the Rams are doing. Last thing I'll say is, though, my one concern for the Rams is, yes, F, you know, the draft picks, keep this team around. 
But at a certain point, like Aaron Donald's 31. Yeah. Cooper Cup's about to be 29. At a certain point, the team's all just going to – you're going to wake up one day and, like, the team's going to be kind of old and you're not going to have any of those draft picks. Now, maybe you just replenish by signing more other stars out there. But that'd be the one concern, and it's probably down the road a little bit. And if you win a few Super Bowls before, then who cares? But eventually, like these guys you're investing in, they're all going to kind of get old together. Right. And you're going to have to have that next group of guys ready to go. Right, no doubt. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, this is kind of like a five-year plan for the Rams right now. We're going to do this for the next five years. We're going to pay everybody, win as many Super Bowls as we can in a winnable conference, that being the NFC. Sean McVay will probably go to TV. Everybody will retire, and they'll kind of start all over again with that money that they have with Stan Kroenke. So it's going to be interesting. Quick note here, Luke, I know we don't talk in the UFC, but Dana White said something very interesting in an interview a couple days ago that I would like to point out. He says, because there hasn't, in the last couple, uh, you know, main event fight cards, I haven't bought them because there hasn't been, you know, a super big name or like Mm -hmm. a great fight that I really, truly wanted to watch. But Dana said that it could happen this year that Stipe Miocic, former heavyweight champion in the UFC who got beat multiple times by Francis Ngannou, could take on arguably the greatest UFC fighter in history, that being John Bones Jones, if he gets you know everything with his mental health and all of the legal situations corrected. He wants those two to fight, which, by the way, John Jones was the light heavyweight champion of the world, not heavyweight, so he would go up a weight class to fight Stipe. The winner of that fight would take on the heavyweight champion of the world right now, that being Francis Ngannou. That would be one of the biggest pay-per-views in history. Could be up there with McGregor and Khabib as far as pay-per-view sales go. Once he said that, Luke, I stood up out of my chair and got so <laughs> excited because John Bones Jones, I mean, you've probably seen the highlight reels and stuff of his fights before. Oh, yeah. The best. The best to ever do it. He was so long and lanky. He's got small calves, but he fought with the light heavyweights and absolutely dominated. He only has one loss, and that was a no contest because he failed a drug test. So he's 26-0. and 0 really in his career yes there's a lot of mental you know things going on with him it's kind of scary to see some of those videos because i feel like a couple times when he's got arrested before the cops are kind of nervous because they know this guy is an absolute you know killer so if these two fight i would say you know i can't ever bet against john bones jones but if he fights francis Ngannou, it's gonna be lights out it's gonna be lights out pretty quick luke how much are you putting down how much would you be willing to put down for a pay-per-view like that. Oh, I I pay 100 bucks. There there's no doubt. I would I'd pay 100 bucks for the Stipe and John Jones fight and I'd pay 300 bucks for a Francis Ngannou and John Jones wow. fight. That would be so historic Luke in the UFC world and I'm a casual UFC fan like I've said I like the big cards I like the yeah. big fights. I do enjoy watching combat sports. It's very fascinating. You got to think Luke. Once that cage closes, I mean it's, it's one of us coming out on top, and you, they'll do anything they can to make it happen. I also would like to see if Israel Adesanya, the style bender, would fight one of these guys to potentially fight Francis Ngannou because he is undefeated in the UFC, mm. I believe 21-0, and and uh, I personally don't think he'll lose a fight unless he fights Francis Ngannou. Interesting. When I went on a trip with a bunch of my buddies about, a, whatever, a month ago now? Yeah, that Saturday night, a couple of them are really into it. They got the fight. They sat down. They were watching all the UFC. I've never been that into it. I'm into. I'm more of a boxing guy. Now, I'm casual. I'll only watch the big boxing fights and just the main events. I don't right. watch the undercard. I never got into UFC, but they were all into it. They were all excited. Uh, we went out instead. I didn't stick around and watch the fights. but That was the Oliveira card, I, I believe. I uh, guess, yeah. yeah. He was fighting about a month ago. Wow, yeah. that was a month ago. Jeez. I know.
Hard to believe. It's already, uh, <laughs> we could play that audio about everybody <laughs> freaking out that it's June 1st. Before you know it, it's going to be football season. The summer goes quick. If you ever bought a UFC card, folks, if you see John Jones on any card from here on out, you buy that card. There's no doubt about it. Just to see the greatest of all time hop into the ring once again. Well, that'll be interesting to see what happens. Hey, you can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Somebody said uh, the Vampire Diary spinoff called Legacies, which is on CW. uh, They said it's all right, not that good, but it's on tonight at 9 p.m. Oh, look at that. Yeah, there is no NBA Finals. I don't know if you're selling me on it, though, when you tell me it's eh, it's all right. It's not that good. Uh, but check it out. I probably won't, but it's on tonight at 9 if you're interested. Now, no basketball tonight. We do have that basketball movie, Hustle. Yeah. Is that uh, what's on tap tonight? I think it's what's on tap. Got a couple things to take care of at the APT, but once those are done, Luke, boom, I'm locked in on the Sandman to see if he created another banger. I'll probably watch it this weekend, so I think we'll, we'll I'll give the, the fine folks a full weekend to watch mm-hmm. it if you're interested, and then Monday in the show, come with your notes, and we'll talk about uh, the movie probably Monday. And then now you have another M, the Morrow Midday Monday Movie something. I don't know. <laughs> We'll come up with an official name for it with all M's. Uh, But Hustle, the new Sandler movie, came out on Netflix yesterday. I've heard nothing. Every movie nowadays, Top Gun, greatest movie of all time. And now this one, everyone's, I've heard nothing but good things. Glowing reviews about Hustle, this basketball movie from Adam Sandler. So I'll probably check it out this weekend, and we'll break it down on the show Monday. And if you're interested, you can watch along with us over the next couple of days and hear our takeaways following the weekend. Real quick, how old would you guess Adam Sandler is? Uh, I'd probably say 62. 62? Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm going over here. I'm going over. I feel like the Sandman's been around for quite some time. He, he has been. 62. Wow. How old is he? His actual age surprise. I thought he was younger than he was. He's about, he's going to turn uh, 57 this summer. Okay. Okay. So he's 56. That surprised me. It's hard. I don't know. I, I still think of him as like Billy Madison. It's hard yeah. to see him as, he's almost 60 years old, Adam Sandler. Still kicking. He's still oh, seeing yeah. him playing pickup games. Oh, yeah. He crushes it. Absolutely. I love that. Wherever he goes. And he always has a basketball hoop on set. I love it. We'll wrap up Hour 2 next. Some more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spin Lunch with Luke. Attention campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up Hour 2 of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Let's talk about superstitions. The Angels have now lost 14 straight games, the longest losing streak in franchise history. They thought, hey, I know what will get us off uh, this losing streak. They had every batter last night walk up to the plate to a different Nickelback song. It still didn't work. They didn't score a single run, and they were shut out and lost their 14th straight to set a franchise record. Now, Joe Madden would be quirky, and he'd do different things to try to mix up the locker room. He was just fired. And Phil Nevin is replacing him, former Major League Baseball player. That's Phil. That must have been what Phil said when they maybe talked to him about becoming the interim manager. He said, don't worry, I got the best idea to get us out of this losing streak. And they said, okay, well, we can't wait to see it. And then last night, the fans that actually came to the game had to be uh, subjected to Nickelback songs all night, and they still lost. 
Shohei Otani's thinking, this is what I came here to play baseball for so I could walk up to photograph by Nickelback and we could still get shut out once again? 14 straight losses for the Angels. Joe Madden sitting at home thinking, that's why they fired me? Because of the guy with the Nickelback idea? You thought that was going to work? Now, I know a coach uh, before has said um, in regards to like trying to mix it up on losing streaks, they said, if it doesn't work, then what do you do? You just got to keep doing what you do, and hopefully it leads to a win. Because when you keep trying to do all these, like, what's the next step now? Now you come out to, uh, I don't know, Justin Bieber songs. What can you do now that the Nickelback playlist didn't work last night? But these teams always tried these superstitions. Jason Giambi, whenever he was slumping, he would wear a thong when he would play. I think the Gamecocks baseball team this year did something with, like, mustaches to try to get out of a slump. For the Angels, the Nickelback did not work last night. We'll see what, the, what they come back with today to try to snap their 14-game losing streak. Poor Nickelback. They continue to just take a beating. Hour three next. Tomorrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ 98.9 FM. WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM. W234CD. Dorchester Terrace. Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. And you can always reach out to the show. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page. Leave a comment there. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Text the show, 843 843- 608-1734. Or you can always join the conversation on the phones. 843-721-9500. We'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery in about 15 minutes. And stay tuned because we'll also be giving away tickets to the Battery's next match Saturday night at Patriots Point. So stay tuned for that coming up in just a little bit. We'll talk about college quarterbacks. Because one has a weird habit. But more importantly, who could be that sleeper this year? We always focus on a a name or two. But if you go back and you look, very rarely is that guy the one that finishes the year, one or two. We all assume Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are going to be the top two quarterbacks in next year's draft class. But you also remember who was supposed to be number one in this last draft class? Spencer Rattler. And he's now still playing in college and for a different team with the Gamecocks, and Kenny Pickett was the first quarterback taken. Now, granted, it was a bad quarterback draft class, and Pickett right, went uh, in the 20s, but nonetheless, a year ago, I don't think anybody was talking about Kenny Pickett being the first quarterback off the board or forecasting that season that he had. So as we look ahead to, to this year, who could that be? Because I think this is a great quarterback. We've talked about it on the show before. I think it's a really good quarterback class this year with uh, a lot of names. 
And some of them are going to have disappointing years and really hurt their draft stock. Some of them are going to follow through, have good years. Some of them are really going to surprise you. I think there's a lot of quarterbacks that you could choose from that could be towards the top of the list a year from now. But anyways, we'll do that a little bit later on this hour. But the NBA Finals resumed last night after a couple of days off with Game 3. And the Celtics got the win last night to move up in the series 2-1. to one. Now, I told you yesterday the Celtics will win this series. I'm not going to overreact like some others have and tell you the series is now over. The one exception I keep uh, saying this afternoon, the only difference would be if you told me that Steph Curry, after what we saw at the end of that game last night, if he's not 100%, if he's clearly going to be injured, hobbled, for the rest of the series, then yeah, maybe at that point I'd tell you this series could be over. But otherwise, we're still way too early. I hope people that are, are saying the series is over realize that if Golden State wins tomorrow, it's a 2-2 series, three games remain, and the Warriors will be home for two or three. And this series is far from over. If the Celtics win tomorrow, okay, then we could talk about, yeah, this series may be over with. Tomorrow's the big game. You could tell me the stats, and I know the stats. I mentioned it yesterday. Right, the teams that win game three in a 1-1 series, right, win the series, whatever it is, 81% of the time. I know how theoretically important game three is. But last night for Golden State, like you lost that game, okay. Just like when Golden State lost game one. You got to win game two. They have to win game four. And they came back and they won game two to keep themselves alive. And I think they'll come back and win game four to keep themselves alive and give themselves the chance to then take the step up in the series game five at home. And the reason why I can't trust Boston to come out tomorrow and put together that great effort to put this series away at home, as they probably should, is because of how inconsistent they've been. And the reason why they've been inconsistent is because they're so young. Last night was the first time that you had three guys with uh, that stat line, like at least 25, 6, and whatever it was since, you know, the Lakers did it in the 80s when Magic uh, first came in the league and, you know, you had uh, James Worthy and whatever, a bunch of young guys. Right? The Celtics were led by three guys under 25 last night. You don't see that very often, especially in the NBA Finals. But it's hard to count on them. It's why the Celtics have been so inconsistent this postseason. One up, one down. One up, one down. Same thing will probably happen here. I think they come out and don't play as well tomorrow and lose game four. Again, assuming Steph Curry is healthy. But for last night's game, the thing that stood out to me most, and he's turned into a punching bag today, and a lot of times... I will defend those that get wrapped up in the groupthink. Right? There's that one narrative you come away with and everyone wants to blame a, a certain person. You make it about Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant or this or that, whoever, and it's the same thing you hear everywhere you turn for your sports talk that day. And uh, we try not to do that here on the More Midday Show. We mix up our topics. I hate a lot of the things about this industry, the very industry I'm in. I've lo- I love the industry. I hate a lot of things that have become commonplace in the industry but with that said I am going to follow suit like many talking heads and also put the blame on Draymond Green today because I do think it's fair I think it's fair to turn him into the punching bag today and it's the same thing that I said going back when the Warriors were playing the Grizzlies in the second round same thing happened then and it led to Gary Payton getting injured you had a young Grizzlies team and you had Draymond Green who probably felt like if I were to get into the mind of Draymond right that these guys can be intimidated that we can be physical with them and we can kind of, you know, scare them off a little bit. They've never been here before. They're young. We'll show them. All right, we're still the best in the team to be. We're still that dynasty. We're still the three-time champions. Just like when you get a little, maybe a little big for your britches, you're beating the kids on your on your block in some pickup hoops, and then your older brother comes out and puts you in your, in your place. 
or uh, even uh, your old man, right, of a play in, uh, in the driveway, and you realize, like, oh, yeah, I'm not quite as good as I thought I was. Or you're feeling good around the house. Maybe you're talking a little trash. I was the youngest of three boys, so I went through this plenty of times. Your older brother, right, shuts you up real quick, puts you in the place. Uh, it took a few beatings growing up back in the day. You start talking a little trash to your, your older siblings, uh, they'll shut you up real quick. Same idea with what Draymond was trying to do to the Grizzlies and really what he tried to do, and it worked in game two against the Celtics. Young team, the Celtics won game one. They were feeling pretty good. Draymond said, not so fast. Hold on. You, you know who you're messing with? And we're the team that won three championships and are in our fourth uh, or sixth appearance here in eight years. And it worked in game two. It didn't work last night in game three. In fact, I thought it was actually worse for the Warriors. I thought Draymond got wrapped up so much in that other stuff. Instead of just playing basketball, I thought he was he was lousy. I thought he was a net negative. I thought he should have played less last night. I thought they could have used Looney more because the Celtics were beating them up around the rim, in the paint, second chance points. I thought Looney, who only played 17 minutes, I don't know why, uh, was more valuable. And has he's had a better postseason than Draymond. Draymond's not the same player he once was. And that's also what you do uh, when you can't impact the game in other areas. That's how you try to impact the game. And so as Draymond's skill level kind of drops off, right? last night he had, what, five points, three points? He had more fouls than points. He has more fouls than made shots this series. Uh, when your skill level starts to drop off, that's when the physicality starts to increase. It's like when you play pickup hoops with somebody at the park, and the guy there that uh, maybe he's the, the oldest guy in the court or he may be the most out of shape, he's also the biggest hacker, right, because he, he, he can't stay in front of you otherwise. His feet aren't quick enough, so he's just going to beat you up because that's the only way he can try to stay ahead. Same idea with even pro basketball players. As the skill level drops, that's when they start increasing that other stuff. That's when they become a little more physical. That's when they try to just rough you up. That's all they can do. Draymond hasn't made a three-pointer. He's shooting 33% from the floor. He's not scoring. Doesn't get a ton of rebounds or assists anymore. But what he can do is he can be an energy guy out there. He can play tough defense. He can rough you up a little bit. He can try to intimidate you. And it worked well in game two. It did not work well last I thought it backfired last night. The Celtics were ready to go. And so, again, to compare it to the war, uh, the uh, Grizzlies series, it worked at first against the Grizzlies, and now the Warriors ended up winning that series, and I think they still win this series. But the intensity level increased. The Grizzlies said, okay, that's how you want to play it? All right. We'll match fire with fire, as Marcus Smart said yesterday. And it's what the Celtics did last night. And when you have to match that other that, that intensity, it leads to Gary Payton getting injured. It leads to Steph Curry getting injured last night. And so I compared it earlier to if you ever go out to the bar with a friend who's a real loudmouth, and he's ticking everybody off at the bar, and you're just there trying to have a good time, and you're in the wrong place at the wrong time just because you're associated with them, right? You're the one that takes the fist to the mouth. Somebody comes over and punches you uh, by accident or just uh, they're throwing haymakers at your whole friends group because of that one buddy who's being obnoxious. Or you go to a, a baseball game. And he's talking trash, and he's picking fights, and they come over, and you want nothing to do with it. You're just there to watch the game. Right? And they come over, and they start swinging at you, and you get knocked in the face. Like, oh, thanks a lot, pal. You got me punched. And that's similar here. Steph Curry's just trying to go win the NBA Finals. Draymond Green is trying to play like head games, and it gets Curry injured last night. It gets Gary Payton injured on a hard foul against the Grizzlies. And if I'm uh, one of those teammates, like, you appreciate what Draymond's done. And, look, he helped you win three titles a few years ago. It's not to totally diminish the role that Draymond Green plays. But I'm thinking, like, come on, can you take it easy a little bit? You didn't do much for us last night. Because of your antics, the Celtics now have ramped up their intensity. 
They're diving on the floor. They're going after a loose ball. Al Horford's going after Steph Curry. It hurts his ankle, and if he's not 100%, this series is now over. Now go out there and just play basketball. Not to sound like an old man yelling at the clouds. But I think Draymond uh, certainly, right, Clay Thompson played well. Steph Curry was the usual Steph Curry last night. Jordan Poole wasn't bad. Didn't have a huge impact, but, you know, he shot it decently. Didn't shoot it a ton, but made half his shots, scored double digits. Looney didn't play enough, but when he was out there, it was solid. But Draymond brought nothing to the table. I thought he was a net negative last night. And when you want to increase that intensity, be careful, right, what you wish for. The other comparison I made in the past is Batman. You want to dress like a bat with your, uh, you know, all your gadgets and everything. Well, now the villains you're going to go up against is going to be a penguin and it's going to be a joker and whatever else. When you up the level, they have to try to match you or outdo you. When you get crazy, they're only going to get crazier. When you want to get physical and intense out there, Draymond, the Celtics are only going to match it and then some. And that's what they did last night. And Draymond was uh, a non-factor. And Steph Curry gets banged up, and the Celtics win the game. Now, I still think the Warriors win this series. I think they win tomorrow. And they even up the series heading back to Golden State, and they're still, if they do that, they'll be in the driver's seat, even if it's a 2-2 series, because they'll have home court advantage. So to Kendrick Perkins and everybody else, cool it on the series over talk. This could still be, probably will still be, a long series. And we're talking about the Warriors here. Uh, the team that's played more of these games than anybody else against the Celtics team that is so young and inexperienced and too inconsistent. I cannot trust that they're going to string together two or three consecutive big games to put this series away. I think they'll give the Warriors every opportunity to push this thing as long as they want. I think Golden State wins tomorrow, and we head back to the West Coast tied at two for Game 5, which uh, that, that won't be until Monday. So we'll be on the air before Game 5, in between Games 4 and 5. I think the Warriors win tomorrow night and even up the series. You can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500. Let's go to the phones. Jim is with us. Jim, what's going on? How are you? Well, I believe in what you say. I just have a hard time choosing one team one time, the next team the other time. I try, try to, like, cheer for the same team. But I can understand directly what you're saying, and you're right about the, about Green. He did ruin the game for them. Uh, hard to believe, and I can't – I had a hard – believing that was going to go over at the end uh the total score but it, it did make it because they scored a lot of points in the first half and in the, and the third quarter but everything happened everything happened for a positive and feel good about it well i called to advise you something uh, uh not with sports there was a program on tv similar to cops cops is on now on the reels channel that's r-e-e-l-z and the uh, live PD was uh, here and it was canceled in 2020. And they would show on a Friday night, nine o'clock on A and E channel, and they would they would show the police going through different areas like cops. But we had it locally here in uh, Berkeley County, and then they had all those cities across, and it was fantastic. We had watch parties, whatever, and then got canceled in 2020. Well, the good news is for you listeners out there, it's coming back. And it's going to be called Live PD, and it'll be on the Reels channel. And you can get a little thought of it because, like, Cops is on tonight at 5 p.m., one of my favorite channels to listen to. And I'm sure Trent will, will enjoy it when, when uh, he takes a look at it tonight uh, to fill in because there's no basketball. But I'm telling you, Luke, 
It's going to be great. Dan Abrams produces it. It'll be on the Reels channel. R-E-E-L-Z, Z like zebra. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched or whatever, but please, you will say, Jim, you were right. This is something good. <laughs> I appreciate it. I do like, uh, I did certainly like it, uh, Live PD, before it was canceled. We're going to put Trent in a Moro Midday Show shirt, and we're going to have him go do something out there that gets the cops brought in, and we're going to get free <laughs> advertising on Live PD. And if Trent ends up in the clink, well, so be it. That's the, the price of doing business. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if they're going to have that local um, uh, police department involved still. I like that show. When I, when I was living in Florida at the time, they always used one of the, uh, like the surrounding towns, one of their uh, police, because obviously in Florida so many wild things happen. And so, yeah, same idea. And then I came here and uh, similar. It was right here in your backyard. And so it's cool to see. I'm, just, I'm always fascinated by the production of it. How they're able to do it, like is it really live, and how do they move? It's like um, it's like uh, red zone on an NFL Sunday, and how they balance it and move around and everything, and they're talking to the. Co- it's really cool the production side of it. That's what impresses me most when I watch that show. Like how do they do all this and make it so seamless? Anyways, big news: live PD coming back. You ever get into that show? Yeah, I was I was a cops guy. There's no doubt about it. Uh, a live PD, great show. Uh, now, as far as me, you know, putting on a Mar Midday Show shirt and getting, uh, you know, arrested, <laughs> anything for the show. Just trying to keep a job around here, folks. I say that all the time. A mock draft didn't go too well, even though I beat Mel Kiper. A couple other That's show right. bets. So you know, I'll take this one. If I if I got to go the clink for the show, I got to go clink for the show. It's good content. Yeah, we'll grab the company card. We'll bail you out. It'll be fine. No no problem. Welcome back, live PD. Eventually. Uh, we'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery when we come back and then give away some tickets to their next match Saturday night. It's the more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Hey, the Charleston Battery are back home this Saturday, Saturday night, 7 o'clock at Patriots Point for Pride Night. Get your tickets online at charlestonbattery.com or just stay tuned. Give it a few minutes because we'll be giving away some tickets for Saturday's match in just a few minutes here on the Morrow Midday Show. So stay tuned for that, your opportunity to get some tickets for Saturday's match for the Battery. Always a fun time over there at Patriots Point. Speaking of which, joining us now, a member of the Charleston Battery. He's a defender for the Battery. It's Tristan Weber who's with us. Tristan, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well, Luke. How are you doing? Doing well. Appreciate the time. Uh, first year with the Charleston Battery. How have things gone for you so far playing here in the Low Country this year? Uh, it's been awesome. I, I'm from California, so it's a bit different, but uh, getting used to the heat and everything. But um, I'm loving it out here, and I'm really enjoying everything that's uh, come my way, whether it's been challenges or um, things that have been going well. So, yeah, I've been loving it. Yeah, you mentioned you're from California. played at San Diego State University for college. Uh, San Diego is probably the fa- my favorite place I've been in this country. You must have enjoyed uh, going to San Diego playing soccer there, huh? 
yeah, it definitely was the best of both worlds, uh, just being able to, you know, pursue my education as well as being able to play soccer in such a beautiful place and just have the beach right there. So, yeah, I loved it. And then, you know, last year you played with the Las Vegas Lights before coming to the Battery. So you're in California, you go to school at San Diego, you go play in Las Vegas, even here in the Low Country. You've been to some pretty good spots. What was it like playing in Las Vegas a year ago? Uh, playing in Las Vegas was uh, it was really fun. Uh, obviously, I joined uh, mid-season, so it was sort of I got right into things, and it was a really great experience. And obviously, being in Vegas it was pretty interesting. Uh, a lot of the games are very uh, uh, Vegasified, if I would uh, put it. Um, it was a uh, it was it was yeah it was really fun. I, I really enjoyed it, and it's definitely different than being here. Um, I feel like here's a, a lot more of a beautiful place, obviously, to be. So I really enjoy it here. Uh, yeah, I, I can imagine. How have things gone um, for, for you individually? Well, first, let me ask you this. First year with the Battery, you played with Las Vegas, as you said last year, joining them midseason. T- take us through the journey, how you wound up with the Battery this year and how you're here in Charleston playing with the Battery. Yeah, so um, I actually, after my time with Vegas, uh, we mutually parted ways, and I was looking for a new challenge. And my agent had reached out to the Battery and – they offered me a trial, so my trial was during the Carolina Challenge Cup, which was uh, those three games with the MLS teams. And uh, through that, uh, it went really well for me, and the coaching staff uh, really liked me, and things worked out. And I'm just happy to be a part of the Battery family now. Yeah, that's got to feel pretty good, right? When you when you uh, get that call or they call you into a meeting, however they told you, and let you know you played well enough, you you earned a spot on the team. I imagine that's a pretty good feeling. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, what's the pressure like for you though, going into those games where, you know, you're, you're trying to earn your spot with the team. You're trying to play well enough. And obviously you did, and you had a big assist against Charlotte FC and, and, uh, you earned a spot here at the battery, but going into the, to, to those matches or to that type of event, what's that like as an athlete with that pressure, making sure, you know, you impress the uh, potential bosses. Uh, I think the biggest thing is just trying to like be yourself as much as possible and trying to just remember that. The little kid that I once was would just be very happy to be in a moment like this and to just take it how it comes and however however many challenges come my way, and no matter how many times I fail, I can just keep up and keep working hard. And at the end of the day, no matter how it goes, it's the, I can control what I can control, and it's the coach's decision at the end of the day. Yeah, certainly a good perspective to have. You mentioned that little kid. So let's go back to when you were young. What was it about soccer that drew you to this sport uh, growing up that, that now you've become a professional soccer player? Uh, I loved it. I mean, I, I played baseball as well growing up, and I think for me the biggest thing that I took away was just how much fun and how I had a smile on my face always playing the sport and just the opportunities that ended up coming with it and really realizing that on top of that that I was good at it as well was also something that I became proud of uh, throughout the years. But yeah, as a little kid, my my older brother and sister played uh, soccer, and they were both very good. And so I just grew up around it. My dad was a coach and coached at our high school as well. So I was very fortunate to play for him uh, my senior year uh, there after being done with academy. When you play for your father, is he tougher on you than anybody else on the team, or did you feel like maybe you, you got an extra break or two? Um, I, We sort of – we we dealt with it very well. Um, we sort of separated our relationship when we stepped on the field, 
and he was very much just another coach to me when we stepped out there. But there are also times where we just just look at each other and smile because that was something we had both really wanted like our entire lives to just be able to share that moment together. And yeah, no, it was, it was amazing just being able to look on the sidelines after a win or after a goal and just see my dad there. So, yeah, I could imagine so. It's pretty cool to be able to play for him. Uh, would you say your father had the biggest impact on your your um, soccer career on you as the soccer player? Um, yeah, I mean, his impact for me was huge. The the time he would take to to help me train even after he was done with work, the time he would take to just take me places as well as my mom. They were both just awesome and how they made time for everything so that I could be the best I could be both as a player and as a person. Talking with Tristan Weber from the Charleston Battery, their home Saturday night. Get your tickets online at charlestonbattery.com. We'll be giving away some tickets in a few moments. Uh, what's it been like for you? How, how is it, from your perspective, what's it been like for the home crowds playing at Patriots Point, uh, being a member of the Battery here, playing at, at home in the Low Country this year? The fans have been great. They've been showing out and showing their support every game, and we're really grateful for them coming out, even though the results haven't necessarily gone our way. They've still showed up, been excited to see us, been happy with us. And, yeah, we're just we're really grateful to have fans like that, and we hope to see them uh, on Saturday as well. You mentioned the results maybe aren't what you guys have been hoping for so far. When you're part of a team that's maybe not winning as often as you would like, do you just you know do you stick with the status quo, uh, figuring that that it'll turn around? Because let me give you the context. Last hour we were talking about the Angels uh, have lost 14 straight games in Major League Baseball. Yesterday they switched it up by using Nickelback songs for all their walk-up songs to try to get out of a slump. So my question for you would be, you know, when a team's scuffling, do you guys try to do something different to mix it up, like maybe listen to a little Nickelback in the locker room, or do you just stick to the status quo, hoping that hey, eventually? Uh, you know, these are going to start turning into wins. Yeah, I think I think we all believe that things are going to turn around and there will be a turning point when we look back on all this and we see how much we grew. And at the end of the day, it's just growing through, um, you know, a new coaching staff and everything. And at the end of the day, I think uh, Nickelback isn't going to help us, but I think there are some things we are doing that, uh, we're changing some things around just with how we handle things at training and also holding each other more accountable on certain things as well. I think at the end of the day, we all believe that things will turn around and we're all willing to fight for each other. And I think we showed that last weekend. Uh, and yeah, I think we have a really good team culture. And I think at the end of the day, we'll be able to turn things around uh, no matter what comes our way. Yeah, I don't think Nickelback's helping anybody, not just the Angels or in this case you. Uh, you played baseball growing up. If you had a walk-up song or say, you know, when you come into the, the, the soccer game, they play a song for you, what would what would be the, the band or the song? What would be your walk-up song if you had to choose one today? Um, That's a good question. I would have to go with probably Up, Up, and Away by Kid Cudi. Ah, all right, Kid Cudi. Now, the, growing up in California, my geography is not great. Were you, uh, as a baseball fan, did you grow up in an area of, like, Giants fan? Where, where were you in California? What baseball um, team? So I, I was in Southern California, so I was, like, right in between uh, L.A. and San Diego. It was a little uh, server town called San Clemente. Um, and I grew up uh, an Angels fan just because that's what everyone around me was. But as I grew older, I became more of a Dodgers fan. Um and then, obviously, moving to San Diego, um, 
supported the Padres. So sort of, sort of bounced around in that sense. But I, w- I would like to say I'm mainly more of a Dodgers fan. Yeah, smart man. Choose the Dodgers these days. They're certainly the best team of the bunch out there. <laughs> but so many to choose from. Um, talking with Tristan Weber from the Charleston Battery. Uh, are, are you superstitious at all? For, forget the Nickelback and that sort of stuff, but just in general, do you have superstitions that you follow? You know, whenever you you take the field. Um. Yeah. There's a couple. Um. Not crazy superstitious. I was a little bit uh, in high school, and then throughout college, it sort of wore away when I realized it, it's more about just the things that I can control. Um, but I have a, I have a couple, just like praying before. I step on the field is a big one for me, and I do a thing uh, right before the whistle blows. I tap my shoes in like a certain way, and but it's really just those two things. Sometimes, um, like for a while, I had a lucky pair of underwear. Um, tried switching that up actually recently, and seems that they weren't so lucky. So, <laughs> so you would what the the lucky uh, the lucky underwear? You'd have to wear them for each game, the same pair. Uh yeah, <laughs> it was a pair of Spider Man underwear actually. Spider Man, <laughs> wow, wow, Spider Man is that the favorite? If you had to pick a favorite superhero, you going Spider Man? Oh, hundred percent, no doubt in my mind. Oh, we were just talking a little Batman last segment. I've always been Team Batman over Superman. But I'm a big I'm... Batman fan too. All right, so big into the superheroes. Um, before we let you go, a couple last things. Oh, speaking of movies, I was told that people, a lot of people, think you look like Bradley Cooper. Do you get that a lot? Uh, I had never got that one, um, until I grew my hair out, uh, and came out here. It was probably the longest I've ever had it. And I don't typically grow my hair out too often, but yeah, everyone sort of hopped on that train and I could sort of see it too. And then, <clears throat> yeah, uh, there were actually a couple photos I was even looking at. I was like, holy crap, I really do, uh, sort of look like him right now. Hey, it's not a bad thing to be compared to uh, Bradley Cooper. You could do a lot worse. Uh, when you have a day off around <laughs> here. Yeah, when you, when you have a day off in Charleston, what what have you found yourself uh, doing here in the area when uh, you have some downtime? Um, I mean, for me, I, I really love the beach, so I either make it out to Isle of Palms. Um, I've headed downtown a couple times and just enjoying the scenery of just the city. And uh, the battery itself is very beautiful, so I've walked that a couple times on a day off. But, yeah, I, I sort of just I like to explore, and I like to find new things until – I can figure out one that, like, I stick with. But at the end of the day, I think for me, I'm pretty simple, and I, I just like to end up at the beach. Are you a surfer? Uh, yes, I am. My uh, my grandpa actually was a, a, surf, a famous surfer, and my dad runs the company that uh, he had started. A famous surfer. Wow. So you come from that family. So you must be pretty good out there, huh? Uh, <laughs> I'd like to think I'm decent, but... Uh, I don't have too much time for surfing these days with yeah. uh, the soccer, but that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, before we let you go, last thing: uh, when it comes to the battery, getting back to the actual soccer of it all, um, what, what have you guys been working on? What are some things that that you'd like to improve on as a team here as we head towards the the second half of the season? Yeah, we've been really focusing on a lot of our ball movement and just work with the ball and focusing on what we can control on that side of things and creating more chances in front of goal and I think we showed that last game that we have the ability to score and now it's just us believing that we can score more than one goal each game and I think we we all do believe the coaches have to believe that we are good enough on the ball to keep making that happen and I think a big takeaway from last game is just also adding in the defensive pieces that we were 
doing well at the start of the season and just sort of incorporating it all together. Well, the Battery will be back out there Saturday night for a home match at Patriots Point, 7 o'clock. Get your tickets online at charlestonbattery.com or stay tuned. We'll be giving away some tickets in just a couple of moments. And uh, you can go out there and see the Battery and cheer them on Saturday and watch Tristan as well. Tristan, appreciate all the time uh, and uh, wish you the best of luck Saturday night and the rest of the season as well. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, pleasure's all ours. Appreciate it. Tristan Weber of the Charleston Battery, one of their defenders, uh, joining us to talk about a little bit of everything. Dewey Weber, grandfather. That's, how about that? That's pretty impressive. I wish I knew about We could have dug down deep into that, talking a little surfing. Trent, you ever tried to uh, surf before? Oh, yeah, I've gotten out on the surfing, uh, surfing waves, Luke. Now, look, I'm not good. Uh, my balance <laughs> is a little off, but, yeah, I'll try. I attempt. I had a couple buddies in uh, middle school and high school who were uh, big surfers, and so, yeah, I mean, I would go out there. The only problem with surfing is, is like, you know, they, they call for a 6 a.m. It's like we got to get there at yeah. 6 a.m., be at Folly. That's where the waves are good. Buddy, I'm sleeping. Like, I don't need to be getting up and fighting the waves at 6 a.m. It's cold. What are we doing here? I don't have a wetsuit. Come on. It's true. It's a good point. Now, I could never surf. I'm not talented enough. Like, I tried uh, snowboarding as a kid. I'm just I'm, I'm not uh, athletic enough to do these things. You can ski? Can you ski? I've never tried skiing. Really? I Water only would do snow- or snow? No, neither. I would only wow. do uh, snowboarding I would try as a kid. Never Love got onto skiing. the skis. Love skiing. So I don't think I have, like, the ability to stay on a surfboard or even ski. I can't do any of that stuff, so I wouldn't try. But that's a good point. Even if I could surf. Uh, I'll try to catch some waves later. Right? I'm not getting 6 a.m. Come on. What are we doing? Get out of here. Yeah, the afternoon. I'll go in the afternoon. Yeah. Sun's going down. You know, yeah. it's prime shark time, though. So, you uh, know, that's, that's another thing that creeps through my mind. I look like a seal when I'm sitting on this yeah. board here. That's what they say. I tell you what, I love Point Break. Great movie. <laughs> the original. That's yeah, the I'll get original. My, yeah, I don't know why they remade it already. I will get my surfing fixed through Point Break. Bradley Cooper, that's pretty good. Anybody ever tell you you look uh, like a celebrity? You got anybody common yeah uh, terry base throws a couple names around here i used to get as a uh a little bit younger uh matt a young matt damon that's what matt i got damon. yeah i got matt damon and then you know uh terry throws around a name around here that i don't necessarily agree with it's probably just the hair but he throws leo around every so oh. often so i'm not i'm not hey look i'm not you know bashing these comparisons i don't mind and uh, tristan shouldn't mind whatsoever no. being a bradley cooper bradley comparison cooper. are you kidding me that's pretty good Leo, that's a good one. What do they say you uh you know, I kind of have an idea in my head but I don't know if I can pinpoint it. What do they say you uh I've gotten like? everything over the years and I don't agree with any of them. Okay. Uh I've gotten Ray Romano. <laughs> <laughs> which I do not see. I love it. I've gotten uh and by the way, my father looks a lot like the brother in Everybody Loves Raymond. So I think that's also part of it. When my uh, father and I t- are together, people will say like, you know, it looks like Everybody Loves Raymond. Um, Ray Romano, I've gotten Paul Rudd, hmm. um, and I've gotten a lot of John Cusack. John Cusack, yeah, okay, okay, I could see it, I could see it. Yeah, you'd be a Paul Rudd with a beard, there's no doubt, because he doesn't have the facial hair. Yeah, I mean, that's a compliment, that's the best one. Yeah. Ray Romano, that's a little bit of a put-down, if I'm being honest, <laughs> saying it looked that's like Ray I Romano. <laughs> yeah, come on, what are you doing to me? And John Cusack, I love John Cusack, I guess that's, that he, when he was younger, he was a good-looking guy, so I guess that's pretty good. And Paul Rudd, right? He's a stud. I don't think I look anything like any of those three, but those are the three I've probably gotten the most. Hmm. I'm trying to pinpoint it. I, I can't do it. I mean, Ray Romano just made me laugh. Like, that's hilarious. I look nothing like Ray Romano. Just list everybody that was in Goodfellas, folks, and that's <laughs> who a Luke Morrow looks like. Yeah. Everyone just said I look like any Italian walking around. That's what, it, that's what people think. I mean, come on. Ray Romano. What are we doing here? 
Give me somebody uh, I could be I could be proud of. So, anyways, yeah, Bradley Cooper, that's pretty good. Appreciate the time from Tristan joining us. Um, you know, tell me I look like a young Marlon Brando. That'd be pretty good. I'll Ooh, take that. There you go. Please. Hey, we got tickets to give away Saturday night um, for the battery. Seven o'clock start at Patriots Point. We will uh, get you the tickets. We'll send you the tickets. Let's make it real simple, as we always do. Third caller now. We'll give you the tickets this Saturday night, 7 o'clock, the Charleston Battery at Patriots Point. Trent will get your information. We'll send you the tickets. 843-721-9500. 843-721-9500. Third caller now. We'll talk some quarterbacks when we come back. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Down on the corner, out in the street, playing the ball for the plan, bring the nick of happy feet. Rooster hits the white coat, people just got a smile. Luke is bones of good faith, and solos for a while. Go for a twang, the rhythm how on his column too. And Willie goes into a dance. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Appreciate the time. Last segment from Tristan Weber of the Charleston Battery. And congrats to our winner on a pair of tickets to the Battery's match Saturday night. If you weren't the lucky winner, don't worry. You could still get tickets today. Go online, charlestonbattery.com, get tickets for Saturday night's match. And uh, if you're there, you might even hear a familiar voice at Patriots Point Saturday. I may have to fill in. On PA Saturday night. Whoa, really? Yeah, yeah, I've never done soccer before. Here we go. So I may, uh, I may, you may be hearing, I may be the soundtrack of Patriots Point Saturday night. We'll see. So that'll be fun. Uh, but get your tickets online, charlestonbattery.com. We can all hang out together Saturday night at Patriots Point. Appreciate the time from Tristan. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. We'll get to some quarterbacks in just a moment. But we continue to talk in the uh, commercial break about um, celebrity lookalikes. And, Trent, you had mentioned one that came to mind that is uh, the tops, but a young Frank Sinatra. Yeah, that one, I forgot about it, but there was this East Bay Deli at Mount Pleasant that had a big poster of him uh, when he got arrested, I mm-hmm. believe, for seduction, actually, back in the 50s. Oh, yeah. And uh, they had that big poster, and all of my friends would send me pictures of it and be like, is this you? I completely forgot about that one, but that one... It does look the most like me by far. It's kind of strange. And that's the tops. Yeah. Like, you want to be compared to a young Sinatra more than even Matt Damon. Uh, Leo, Leo's right up there, too. We could have a good debate yeah. about a Sinatra versus a Leo. I think I look a lot more like Sinatra than Leo. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I had a, a photo where at one time I looked like uh, uh, Al Pacino from the movie <laughs> Serpico when he had the longer hair and the beard. And we, I was wearing a similar hat to Pacino and shirt. I actually do kind of look a little bit like the character. So that was the other one, too, that I forgot about. <laughs> At least uh, one day. I looked like a Serpico Pacino. I'll take that. Love Al Pacino. Hey, uh, quarterbacks. I guess just because it's the off season, right? It's the time of year I'm seeing all these rankings, these lists of the best quarterbacks in college football. I'm surprised to see how high Spencer Rattler is. I think he has potential and a high ceiling. But maybe it's the fact that I just can't get it over. The fact that the Gamecocks may have one of the best quarterbacks in the country, at least that's what people believe. On three sports, ranked Spencer Rattler is the fifth best quarterback in college football this year. Wouldn't that be something? If South Carolina had a top five quarterback, 
I saw um, another list. Jordan Reed put together the best quarterbacks for next year's draft class, and Spencer Rattler made like the second tier of names. He wasn't in the top five, but he was in the next group. So like a top 10 quarterback in college football this year, at least amongst those that are draft eligible. And if he plays to that level, then who knows what the Gamecocks could accomplish. I'm not telling you they're going to go win the SEC. But they could be a really interesting team if they have a top five quarterback in the country. And I think Rattler has that potential. He has that ceiling. I don't know if he's going to get there because he did not last year at Oklahoma, and I think things are only going to be tougher with the Gamecocks. But it'll be fascinating to see. But I saw this one list, right? Everywhere you look, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Caleb Williams are the top three quarterbacks. And I would say rightfully so. But here's the rub, that every year we go in with our anticipated number one quarterback. And right now, pick your fighter. It's either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. I think most people would agree it's one of those two. Probably Bryce Young will be your number one, especially after what we saw last year. The thing is, Trevor Lawrence was the outlier. Very rarely do we make it through the year, and that guy still is number one. If you go back and you look at the quarterback draft class, this past year, Kenny Pickett was the first quarterback taken. A year ago, we were not talking about, hey, Kenny Pickett's going to be the best quarterback in college football, at least amongst those draft eligible. The year prior, Trevor Lawrence stayed number one. Before that, Joe Burrow came out of nowhere to be the best quarterback. In 2019, uh, Kyler Murray, yeah, he probably was. Dwayne Haskins, though, had a lot of hype going into that year. I think Kyler Murray, I'd have to think back, he may have been number one. But prior to that, like Baker Mayfield was a real surprise. Mitchell Trubisky, those were guys that Trubisky wasn't even a starter the year before. In 2016, I mean, Carson Wentz went number two overall. Nobody knew who he was. You're not paying attention to FCS football. So a lot of times you go in thinking it's going to be a Marcus Mariota, right? Suck for the duck. Justin Herbert, and he probably should have been a top pick. But it's a lot of these guys that we thought was going to be someone else, and then you're surprised, right? We thought it was going to be Tua. Actually, it was Joe Burrow was the better quarterback. Tua was not even the second-best quarterback in that draft class. Things change throughout a football season heading into draft time. So the point being, as we look at this quarterback draft, everybody assumes it's going to come down to Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud a year from now, and maybe it will. Trevor Lawrence was able to hold on to that number one quarterback status all year. But more often than not, somebody else sprouts up and surprises you as the best quarterback in that draft class. Who could that be this year? I think there are a ton of possibilities. I think the depth of this quarterback draft class could be really good. Around the draft, what was that, six weeks ago? I gave you a list that had about 15 names of quarterbacks I'm very intrigued by in college football this year. And it depends which way they go, right? They have the potential. Like a Will Levis could be a high-end quarterback. Spencer Rattler, as we already talked about, is another one. If they reach that ceiling, they could be a a highly drafted quarterback, one of the best in the country this year. K.J. Jefferson's intriguing at Arkansas. Even somebody like a Brennan Armstrong at Virginia. I think, though, maybe, and maybe I'm just buying into the hype, but Tyler Van Dyke. Now, he is getting plenty of publicity this offseason. But when you talk about the top-tier quarterbacks or you talk about the best quarterback, I hear a lot of Bryce Young, a lot of C.J. Stroud, a lot of Caleb Williams. I don't hear Tyler Van Dyke, quarterback at Miami. I think Van Dyke may be the guy. I'm all in on Miami this year. My one concern, I'll say this, though, the one concern is Mario Cristobal also had Justin Herbert at Oregon. And because of Cristobal's style, he's an offensive line coach. So he's kind of an old-school, physical football, run the football, win in the trenches. They did not unleash Justin Herbert. When you watched Herbert at Oregon, right, doesn't he look a lot better in the NFL now? A lot of people were surprised by how good he looked in the NFL. 
part of the reason why he was only the third quarterback taken in his draft class after coming back for an extra year. He dropped. Why? Because when you watch him at Oregon, like, eh, they weren't really having him do much. That's my one concern is that with the Miami offense, it may not be so – right, Tyler Van Dyke may not shine as much as a quarterback somewhere else because that's just not Cristobal style. He's an offensive line guy, right, run the football, play good defense, let's make it uh, easy on our guy instead of going out there and having him throw it 50 times. I'm curious to see what he does with Van Dyke. I thought he held Herbert back in college. I don't know if he'll hold back Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. But if there is a quarterback, I'm all in. I'm buying all the Tyler Van Dyke stock. And I'm saying a year from now, we maybe talk about him going first in this quarterback draft class. But it's one of my favorite storylines for this college football season, watching these quarterbacks, because after this past draft class and how poor that was, this year could be really fascinating. There's about 15 names that I have jotted down that any of the 15 could turn themselves into higher-end drafted quarterbacks. A lot in the SEC, about half the SEC. The ACC has some interesting quarterbacks this year. Boston College, NC State, Miami, Virginia. We'll see about Clemson. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see which direction these guys go in. Now, on the subject of quarterbacks, Will Levis is an interesting one at Kentucky, on and off the field. A year ago, he showed us that he eats his bananas with the, the peel on. He doesn't peel a banana. He just takes a banana and takes a bite right out of it like it's an apple or something. Eats the whole banana. Now, this week, we got more Will Levis information. Will Levis shared that he puts mayonnaise in his coffee. I don't know. I'm a big Will Levis guy. I don't know if I can trust a quarterback who makes these types of decisions. If you're eating a whole banana without peeling it, and you're putting mayonnaise in your coffee, I don't know if I can trust you as my franchise guy with the football in your hands and a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Trent, are you a coffee drinker? Big-time coffee drinker. Oh, yeah. Would you ever put mayonnaise in your coffee? No, that's asinine, Luke. I would never put mayonnaise in my coffee. I do black coffee only, sometimes tad bit of creamer if I'm feeling a little saucy. But, no, those comments from Will Levis, the mayo in the coffee is just uh, absolutely asinine. Can't get behind it. He's not my quarterback. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, it's very concerning. It's about decision-making, and that's not a good decision. Who's putting mayonnaise, and I'm a, are you a mayonnaise guy? Not not really. Uh, I've, gotten okay. a little, I've gotten a little into it, you know, nice mayonnaise, you know, aioli, if you will, on my mm. Sammy, you know, yeah. or two. I, I don't mind, but I'm not, not a huge mayonnaise guy. I do like mayonnaise. I don't drink coffee, but I wouldn't put mayonnaise in any drink. No. Who's putting mayonnaise in their coffee? The guy's eating bananas whole. Would you ever eat a banana without peeling it? Again, that's, uh, I mean, yeah. what is this guy uh, doing? Come unbelievable. on. Just, just, hey, pal, just peel the banana. That's Seriously. It. Right. How can I trust you? If I am an NFL team, in one of those meetings next year at Will Levis, I'm going to show him. Right? Show me you can peel a banana first and eat a banana like a normal person, and then maybe we'll consider drafting you. Show me you, you, you keep your helmets just to your tuna fish sandwiches, and then maybe we could draft you in the first round. A lot of interesting quarterbacks in college football this year. We'll wrap up your Thursday when we come back. Tomorrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Ramming up your Thursday on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast.
And you can take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. And you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world through the free app, ESPN Charleston in the App Store. Get it today. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least 11 different states and multiple countries on this Thursday. Live Golf Tour off and rolling. We talked about that earlier today. You can find it on the podcast. But Alan Shipnuck, who is the one that put out the quotes and the information about Phil Mickelson, the gambling, what he originally said about the Live Golf Tour, uh, Shipnuck said, this was about 20 minutes ago, he was physically removed from Phil Mickelson's press conference today. And the security guard said they were acting on orders from their boss. So that's interesting. This whole thing is going to be interesting. And we're probably just getting started in all of this. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. We'll get ready for Game 4 of the NBA Finals tomorrow. I still think the Warriors win tomorrow and still win the series. But we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, tomorrow. Plus, some of the biggest questions in college football. We'll answer them tomorrow on the show, looking ahead to the season. And a whole lot more on what we'll maybe try to make a football Friday tomorrow. Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes for now. We say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. We'll be right back.